Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, the prosecution is not going to get that man today. No, because I'm going to get him. edition of the Hagman and Hagman Report. Thank you so much for your belief and trust in us, and thanks for joining us tonight. We've got a tremendous show for you planned. Josh Kaplan from uh, VesselNews.io. He's going to be checking in first hour. Then second hour, former Senator Tom Coburn. Smashing the D.C. Monopoly. You know, uh, exactly right. Uh, Here's his book, Smashing the D.C. Monopoly. Yeah, folks, it's a great book. Uh, a lot of great information about how to do that, just that from the from a uh, government insider. And then third hour, Pastor Lifer to wrap it up. Yeah, he hasn't been on um, in a few weeks. He was dealing with the death of his uncle. Yeah, yeah. And, it's, uh, good to, it's good to have him back. Yeah, um, back. Indeed. Now, uh, I just want to remind everyone, of course, you know, we are partnered up with uh, WND Superstore. So, folks, here's what I'd like you to do if you have any, uh, if you're going to be purchasing any books, anything, uh, go to the WND Superstore and um, help us out. Help us out. We've partnered up with them, and uh, they've got some, uh, well, for example, uh, former Senator Tom Coburn's book, Smashing the D.C. Monopoly, available right there at the WND Superstore. All that is is superstore dot, dot yeah superstore dot WND dot com. Just go to uh, the link. I think we might have a link on the front page. If not, it'll be there shortly. And of course, it will. Um, we, we do. We, we're in partnership with them in terms of um, uh, revenue sharing. So it's, it's it's good. And and thank you, thank you to uh, Michael Thompson. Thank you for uh, to World Net Daily for uh, for putting us in there. It's some great authors, some tremendous authors, and uh, as well as anything else, uh, just use the promo code Hagman. Anything else in the store? Promo code Hagman. There you go. Just remember that. WND Superstore promo code Hagman. But you know, as we go through the uh, the news, and I would direct everyone for show prep to Josh Kaplan's uh, website, VesselNews.io. There, of course, you're going to find the real news, the real news headlines. Um, of course, the big news, or some of the big news. Um, Twenty-one five thirty-two. I'm surprised at that number. I'm just. Uh, the new stock uh, record. Yeah, yeah. Twenty-one five thirty. Yeah, of course, it's <laughs> for for most of us working staffs, right? It really makes no no different, uh, no difference. It, it does have, of course, have as a ripple effect. But uh, stocks, bonds jump on go. Slow Fed oil climbs, markets wrap. Um. Yeah. Well. Okay. There was another piece. Uh, oh, yeah. I saw today on the. I got it right here from the Wall Street Journal. Have consumers decided most news is fake news? Global investors seem nearly as skeptical as Trump partisans. It talks about how the uh, skepticism toward the media is most often associated with middle America, but the Wall Street Journal is wondering why there hasn't been more evidence with all the the Russia-Trump news and why we haven't seen the effects in the markets. And they are asking the question if the country is giving the collective shrug of the shoulders in the latest breathless media reports about alleged collusion between Trump and Russia. It's an interesting piece. It's on Drudge. It was on Drudge. Okay. Collusion. 
Collusion, hacking. Every, everyone is guilty, uh, apparently, of collusion. You know, yeah, what the, is collusion? Uh, okay, it's well, defined. The situation is Breitbart, Drudge, Infowars, the subject of an FEC investigation, FEC, and FBI soon, I believe, uh, Alex Jones, Infowars, and, and that leaves... Um, us as well being within the broadcasting uh, venue, given if they use the same standards, for example, as they would do on InfoWars, this according to, to our attorneys, our law firm, our attorneys, that unfortunately as you grow, you've got to, you've, you've got to have attorneys and, and that's just the way it is. If if you're if you're going to present the uh, if you if you if you're going to do it what we what we do, you have to have law firm a law firm or a, a attorneys to to guide you uh, to help you. And according to the information that I received today, you know we're in that same we're we're in the same crosshairs. If they use the same uh, what our attorneys what what is understood to be the same criteria as they're using with InfoWars, Hagman and Hagman Report is in that same, is in the same crosshair. So, of course, we would uh, be in that same target-rich environment of collusion. Even Now, again, this is not to say that, that we conspired or colluded with Russia and, and uh, no, not at all, or received money from people connected to Russia. No, we are a listener-supported broadcast. And right now, let me tell you, quite frankly, did I miss something? where did we get involved in this? Was I not, did I not listen properly to what you just laid out? Cause, uh, apparently not. Okay. okay. Because right, right, right now, I just want to say, screw it all. Well, that's about it. And, and hang it up. No, no, I'm serious. Because I, I, now listen to me. And I want everyone to listen. I want everyone to listen. Okay. You're in this, we are in this alternative media. And, and and look, I can take the the crappy emails. I could take the 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 uh, the, the, the people who are who sit behind a computer keyboard that eat ice cream in their parents' basement or whatever that they might do. Okay, and dribble on their shirt. Don't have jobs. I get that. We you know we get I, I get I get those emails from those mopes. I, I get it. And and of course we I get the uh, emails from the. Uh, people calling us Islamophobes and racists and homophobes and everything else. I get that too. I, I understand all that. I expect it comes with the territory. But here is the issue. When you've got the FEC looking at Breitbart, Infowars, and, uh, uh, Drudge as p- possible collusion with the Russians, they want to know where the, okay, where are you getting your funding? This is a fishing expedition as to who is funding the operation since we are a listener, primarily a listener-supported show. Primarily. Okay, uh, well, are, do you have uh, uh, special people that give you X amount of dollars from, we'll say, from foreign countries? No, we don't. No. Do you have, uh, you know, so, so the, what, According now, this according to our law firm, because I, I, I caught wind of this yesterday. Actually, this, this kind of began rippling last week, and I didn't even tell the staff here. 
Okay, I did not tell you, Joe. I didn't tell. I didn't tell the staff. I caught wind of this last week, and I'm not making this well, a collusion with yourself. Well, you know, yeah. And and by the way, it's this is extremely serious. So what what this is are these holdouts from the Obama regime at the FEC, for example, saying, "Okay, well, wait a minute, we have to." Uh, and, and this is, goes specifically for uh, Infowars, which I, I feel horrible about. You know, I, I, but you know, the Roger Stone having connections to the Trump campaign and a former, former. Now, I'm not going to be very specific. I, I can't be. But just understand this: we are as well in the crosshairs, and that's not to say poor us. That's just that's just to say that's the way it is. And I, I, I hope to God that Donald Trump, the administration of Donald Trump, gets the, the people within that administration get their act together and get rid of these Obama holdouts uh, like this Weintraub in the uh, FEC, because this is harassment. This is harassment that makes Lois Lerner uh, that situation look like a uh, walk in the park. So, you know, we come on here three three hours a night. All right, and and I and folks, I mean, this is just the way it is. We come on here three hours a night. We are a listener-supported broadcast. It is because of the good graces of you and and people like Ted Brower uh, and some of our sponsors as well. But it takes a lot of money to run this operation for research to, to get to hire people to, to the equipment, the maintenance, the electricity alone. Our electric bill for the studio alone is a thousand dollars plus a month. Okay, just to give you an idea, uh, satellite fees. The the the, the, uh, the I mean, I can go on and on and on. So this is not a small operation, but it's nothing compared to, for example, what Alex Jones has. It's nothing compared to these other operations. But I say that to say this. They still want to know, well, where's your money coming from? Now, does that mean that all of our, you know, people who have donated, does that mean that they're going to be identified? No, of course not. What they're looking for is large transactions. They won't find any. Um, that, that come from specifically from Russia and overseas locations. So when I heard about this last week, to make a long story short, I, I, I consulted a legal counsel and, and, and after some, after some uh, uh, investigation and inquiries, just found out today. Yeah, yeah. You, if if they would use the same criteria as we understand it, this is what our lawyers say. As we understand it, you would fall into that same category and expect to be on the recipient end of a fishing expedition by um, government agencies, including but not limited to the FEC, the Federal Election Commission, for potentially uh, uh, you know messing around with the or supporting colluding uh, in the uh, 2016 presidential campaign. Now, how insane is that? Seriously, how insane? And what year is this? And people wonder why I've got a bad attitude. People, but see, at this point, it's just like, I just, at this point, it's almost as if, why bother? All right. And I don't want to sound like poor me. All right. I just have those days. And uh, I was speaking, it was, it was great because I was speaking with uh, Ted Brewer yesterday, and I really, I, you, know, you could tell something was on my mind, and I really didn't tell him anything about, about this, and uh, I didn't say anything to the staff or anything like this, but, but the bottom line is this, look, we are, we are going to be harassed, and we can expect to be harassed by government agencies. We can, we'll give them a desk in our office, 
we'll, we'll set them up. I guess we'll just we'll just power through it. But that, that's the bottom line. That's what's taking place. It's up close and personal. It's here, and and I do hope that um, I, I do hope that we can survive this. Uh, this and whatever, and I pray that that uh, that this doesn't get too bad for people like, uh, including Alex Jones, and and uh, uh, I just it, it, this is ridiculous. This is absolutely this is as bad as it gets in July of 2014, and it's going to get worse. Does that make sense to everyone? That. that and we thank you because look, we can only survive. Okay, the only way we can survive and carry on is through your support, through your continued support. And if 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 we don't have your continued support, we're not going to survive. I'm going to tell you that flat out because right now we are looking at such uh, an incredible. This is an incredible expense, and I thank you for your support, and I thank you for your support if you've given it. I thank you from the bottom of, of my heart. And if you can't, if you can't, if you can't help us out, I, I I completely understand that too. I absolutely understand that too. Say a prayer if you don't mind, or 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 just pass the uh, uh, pass the word about our show. Elevate us on social networking through uh, subscribing to our uh, various social networking feeds and subscribe to our YouTube channel. That always helps. Support our sponsors. Support Ted Brower, healthmasters.com, because we're all in this together. But if you, I guess I, 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 look, I was, had no intention of talking about this when I sat down. This is from the heart. This is what it is. In fact, my attorney says, look, I wouldn't, you know, I really wouldn't say anything because, eh, you know, it's just, it, it, how are you going to couch it? And it, so, uh, but you know, since when do I listen to, to to the people that I you know I pay by the minute? With us, we have Josh Kaplan. He is uh, from VesselNews.io, and the, the reason the folks are watching on YouTube are seeing the static image right now, and then this uh, wide shot. We're down to something happened with a camera connection. Um, All right, so we had so, to, so the next is the yeah, asteroid coming through. Right? Pretty much, today was a crazy day um, of things not going right or working well, but it all has come together. We have Josh Kaplan with us. That's all we need is Josh Kaplan. Josh, give us some sanity, brother. How are you guys doing? Ah, uh, we're doing good. Aces, we're aces, brother. <laughs> a little, a little sarcasm too. To kick things off, I, I see that just like you and so many other people that are telling truth, fighting tremendous headwinds. And uh, I think that we have some good news to share. Many believe that this Donald uh, Trump Jr. story uh, is a negative against the administration, has brought chaos into the White House. Uh, but what people are ignoring is that the reason why the Democrats have lost previous special elections since Donald Trump has become president is because they have no economic message. And with Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer supposedly putting forth a new uh, policy prescription, new platform uh, to get America working again from the Democrat standpoint, they are completely drowned out by new nothing burgers out of Russia. 
So uh, I think 2018 is going to look good, and I think re-election is going to look good. So let's keep our eyes on the price. What about the midterms? Uh, You said you think 2018 looks good. Um, Midterms, I'm concerned about the midterms only because I see this this Republican majority doing nothing, and even in the in the cutting cutting back of their vacation, I see I you know I see him doing thing almost, and I see a lot of roadblocks being put up by these never Trumpers by the establishment Republicans. We we got to get rid of some of these establishment Republicans, in my view. We we got we got to kick them to the curb quickly. Um, but 2018, you still have a good feeling about it. I do. I, I definitely do. Because right now, uh, Democratic base is divided, as we had touched on in our previous discussions. The base is divided among the centrists, the establishmentarians, and now this emerging progressive uh, part of the wing. Uh, but it appears as though the DNC, unlike the RNC uh, when the Tea Party was coming up, is trying to stifle this new life within the Democrat Party. So we're going to see more John Ossoffs uh, and more... Uh, Hillary Clinton, Barack Obama molded as candidates uh, running in 2018. And what's going to happen is, is that the excitement that Donald Trump has been able to maintain, despite an incredible onslaught by the media and the Democrat uh, establishment, I think a lot of the voters are going to continue to have that MAGA, that Make America Great Again spirit, uh, carry, uh, carry us into 2018 because as things have gone on, things have gone more vicious in the press and you'll notice that the base is clinging uh, ever tighter uh, to Donald Trump and what he's always tried to do from the very get-go and I think just by the design of his candidacy and who he is as an individual, he's always put space and daylight between himself the Paul Ryans, uh, uh, the Mitch McConnells, really the rhinos, the establishment Republicans. So I think you're going to see a base that just is uh, focused on trying to get Republicans elected because they know that uh, despite the fact that they may be electing somebody who may not be working alongside a president uh, as closely as they would like, the what what is the actual, uh, as the independents are going to look at on the Democrat side, what's really the alternative for them? Well, yeah, true. It's a picking your poison scenario. It isn't why are we going to vote a rhino in uh, it's, well, I'm going to vote the rhino in over this individual who is screaming at the top of their lungs about a uh, conspiracy theory, and that doesn't help uh, put food on the table. It's going to come down to a pick-your-poison scenario. Yeah, and, and I totally, yeah, I, I, I in, in the, as you, as you said that, I, I can see where, I can see that, uh, pick-your-poison. And it's, aren't people, Josh, aren't people getting tired of that, 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 that holding your nose when you go to the voting booth, pick your pick the worst of the the lesser of the two evils, or you know, I, I mean, it, it, man, it, we how do we fix that? I don't think it's fixable. I think there needs to be a mindset shift and the perception of what politics are and what a human being. One individual who is one of many elected officials who are representing constituents that have a vast and diverse variety of different needs uh, to um, taper down their, their expectations to look within themselves and their community to bring about change. So I don't think it's a question of how do we fix holding our nose. 
The question is, how do we acclimatize ourselves to holding our noses? Uh, put the, the, you know, pick our poison, get them in, in, in Congress, try to uh, direct them to, it, to the policy prescriptions that we want to see manifest, but then go back into our own communities and make things happen like you are and so many other citizen uh, journalists on the Internet or, or in the real world. So I think there has to actually be, I'm looking at this differently. I'm looking at a mind shift. Let's not look to our politicians for any sort of salvation. Uh, let, let's look for the minimum amount that we could possibly get, move on, and do things on our own if possible. That is a sad state of affairs, yeah. even though it, it does make sense. And the one thing I have a problem with is um, the potential, as, as, as you said earlier, that there doesn't seem to be any movement in getting anything done, anything significant done with this Congress or, or Senate. And even Rand Paul came out today and said, you know, they're going to keep Obamacare. Um, I believe the latest polls show health care and immigration are among, you know, t- and the economy are the, the three top issues in the nation and, and nothing is getting done. And we see the, uh, what people are calling the, the hysteria, the liberal insanity that is pushing the regular Americans to just want to vote R in every election because it, it has to be better than that insane mindset that you're talking about. But in that same mindset of voting straight R, I see a problem uh, with potential corruption and even more of a stalling of um, the Trump agenda than we're seeing right now. And that could could create a big problem, um, especially if the Congress and Senate continues to get nothing done throughout the rest of this year. That's at least my thoughts on that. No, and I, and I think that that's an interesting point, because if you're going to vote rhinos into Congress, well, you're going to have rhino bills come into play. Uh, but I think then again, if you take a step back and you say, well, if what's better than Obamacare? Obamacare light. I'm not an advocate for this bill. Uh, I think that I think that uh, Rand Paul's um, assessment of the situation is correct. I do believe that in many respects, especially now that a new bill that is supposed to be uh, tabled by Mitch McConnell, supposedly keeping a lot of the taxes in which uh, they're being tacked onto the uh, high net worth uh, Americans out there. So. I agree with him, um, but we have to take a look at what's going on. Would you rather keep an imploding system, uh, or would you rather have a system that implodes less? I mean, if we had Hillary Clinton, surely we would have had uh, Obamacare implode in our face within the next one to two years. So I'm not advocating uh, for uh, just taking a step back and just allowing these negative things to happen. But what I'm trying to do is put things into perspective, is that it could have been far worse um, and that if we're going to look to our government uh, to try to fix these massive solutions, I think that we're going to continuously be disappointed. We have to look within our own communities, coming up with our own technologies, our own businesses, our own entrepreneurship, to try to find solutions that the government has no choice but to coalesce around. So that's the way that I'm, I'm trying to think about these things. It's, it's kind of the ultimate triage uh, of news and politics is what you're doing, and, and and I like that. I guess that's the only way that we can do this is we already have, we've already arrived to some extent at this uh, at this massive, I don't know, uh, I don't want to say crime scene, although that would fit, this emergency <laughs> situation, and, and you're just doing triage, and, and sometimes you have to use a bunch of duct tape and, uh, you know, uh, two-by-fours, and other times you have proper equipment, but Regardless, you've got to you've got to evaluate, and that's what, and I think that's what I'm hearing you say. You've got to kind of okay, we can we can 
we can really do things over here, but over here we're going to just have to, you know, just going to jerry it together a little bit. Is kind of, sort of. Is that what you're saying? Well, uh, I mean, there's two ways to go about it. I mean, I think many people wanted to see Donald Trump uh, break down and then rebuild this massive uh, infrastructure, or I should say this administrative state, which we have that manages uh, all of our day-to-day day affairs, really from morning till night, from birth till death. And Donald Trump, uh, as we can see right now, is not necessarily that candidate. Uh, but I do think that it is a question to a certain degree of triage where you're trying to, you know, if you've got a massive concrete wall and there's leaks, well, you're just trying to slap some concrete over it and, and get it fixed up as possible. And that's what I think we're seeing right now. And for, for anybody to think that there's going to be a massive transformation within government, I think is investing far too much into their emotions. It's going to come out feeling very, very angry and very, very upset. I, I, I just, I love the way... <laughs> Your uh, your responses and, and the way you present the news, VesselNews.io, that's VesselNews.io, Josh Kaplan is the editor-in-chief. Um, the way that you present the news and the way you present yourself, this program, for example, very measured, very uh, tailored, very responsible. Uh, there's no overstatement or understatement of events, and that's really what I like about about your your website, of course, and of course your appearances with us again, Josh Kaplan, editor in chief of Vessel News, VesselNews uh dot IO. And uh I want to just say thank you for that. We've got about a minute before the break. I do want to get into uh, after the break, I want to get get your take into exactly I want to get the mechanics of of of, of this latest Russian deal with uh the, the top story on your website about the deep state striking back. What you think well, not 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 what like the talking heads are talking about, but what you, Josh Kaplan, based on your vantage point, what you think this is all about, and the players and such, and how important you think it is, and how long this will last, and then the larger scene, and then whatever else you want to get into. But that, I I do want to get your get your take on that if that's if that's all right. That's all um, right. When we get there, okay. And again, our our guest is Josh Kaplan. He is the editor in chief of Vessel News, VesselNews.io. You don't need drudge. You don't need any any place else. You just and do what we do. First stop in the morning, many many times a day. Vesselnews.io. That's vesselnews.io. V e s s e l news.io. It's right there in the program description. Gonna be right back. Stay right where you're at. A full uninterrupted segment with Josh Kaplan. Can't wait. Visit HagmanReport.com for the news and articles that matter most. Stay tuned. We will be right back. In a thrilling series of novels, T.C. Joseph takes us into the lives of three families who struggle to maintain normal lives in a world where conspiracy theory and Bible prophecy collide. 
T.C. Joseph's viewpoint of alternative history and understanding of prophetic events will change your view of the world and the events on our horizon. Kirkus Review states, Readers of End Times Fiction will be hard-pressed to find it done more intriguingly than this. Extremely readable and fast-paced. Blue Week Reviews only states, Fans of Tim LaHaye's Left Behind series and Tom Parada's The Leftovers will find this thought-provoking series absolutely riveting. Order your copies of T.C. Joseph's This Generation series from Amazon.com. Book 1, Precipice. Book 2, Pentecost. And Book 3, Penance. In these uncertain times, it makes sense to have a sustainable backup method to cook food and boil water. If your current plan includes using a fuel-burning stove or cooking over an open fire, then there's a much better way. The Miniman Rocket Stove is a biomass-burning cooking stove that only requires small quantities of sticks and twigs for fuel. The Miniman Stove is easy to use, smokeless, portable, powerful, and sustainable. For the finest in survival cooking stoves and fire starters made right here in the USA, go to MinutemanStove.com. That's MinutemanStove.com. You may never look at your city, town, or its people the same way ever again. Stained by Blood, a murder investigation based upon a true story by private investigator Douglas J. Hagman. Using the character Mark Stiles, Hagman takes you on a journey behind the scenes where the homicide becomes a secondary to an underworld of satanic ritual abuse, child abduction, and even mind-controlled experimentation. A world dismissed as conspiracy by those who want to keep its secrets hidden. Exposing the dangers, denials, and deceptions. For five years, a brutal killer remained on the loose, free to kill again. As Mark struggles to navigate the maze of bizarre twists and untangle a web of deeply hidden secrets kept by some of the most powerful and influential people in his community and beyond. Stained by Blood. Order your copy of this engaging novel today at HagmanandHagman.com and click on the link. Stained by Blood. As you can see, the old man was he dis he so uh spontaneous combustion. Mental spontaneous combustion. Now we have with us Josh Kaplan from Vesselnews.io. That's Vesselnews.io. It's a fantastic news curation site that covers uh much of the top stories from around all parts of the internet and mainstream media of the day, uh all wrapped up into one website, Vesselnews.io. And I know uh right before the break one of the things we wanted to hit coming back that seems to... Uh, there was a great... I don't know if you heard, Josh, uh, us doing the intro. There was an interesting article on Drudge Day that talked about... It was from Wall Street Journal that talked about, you know, is there um, a disconnect between the mainstream media hyperventilating over Russia and the the America actually buying the story? And the, the article concluded that, yes, because markets aren't being affected, because uh, Americans have, you know... What was it? The Republicans, 85% distrusted the media, and uh, the Democrats polled 46% said they distrusted the media. The article went on to conclude that all this stuff is just um, smoke and mirrors, and the American people aren't even 
really caring about it. They're going about their business, and they don't see anything uh, here. They don't even believe that most of it is is true, which is a fair assessment. What's going on with the the media and with uh, specifically with the Donald Trump Jr. revelation that we uh, were supposed to see yesterday? Well, I think Rush Limbaugh today uh, hit the uh, hit it out the park when he said that the media is putting forth uh, in motion a coup against Donald Trump. Uh, so really what you're seeing uh, historically has been a media, governmental media complex uh, that has collaborated alongside one another for decades, uh, has drifted uh, more so to the left uh, from a policy standpoint. But of course we know that uh, both the Democrats, Republicans, and the media uh, you know, our corporatists at the end of the day, they want a large administrative state so they could, con- so they have the resources to maneuver around it and leave the little guy, uh, struggling because they don't have the know-how. Um, so what you're seeing right now is a government media complex, uh, from the Democrat side trying to get Donald Trump, uh, to vacate, uh, the White House as fast as possible. And I think the way that they're going about this is through this Russia collusion story. And there has been a tremendous amount of smoke. There hasn't been really any fire that anybody could, uh, corroborate. Uh, and all, at the end of the day, the backdrop to this all is that the United States had a president by the name of Barack Hussein Obama. For eight years, he had GDP that was the lowest in generations uh, in terms of growth. Uh, job creation was abysmal. Politically, he destroyed his own party from within. They lost over a 1,000 seats throughout the country of all levels throughout government. Uh, so we know that the Democrats have been uh, ineffective in trying to move the country forward. Uh, so there's not going to be any policy matters that they're going to put forth. So they're going to latch on to this situation. They think that the average American is going to be so inhalated, uh, so so uh, choked up by all the smoke that the media is putting out there that they're going to somehow find their way and press Democrat when it comes uh, down to voting. And I don't think uh, that that's going to happen. We've seen the special elections go to the Republicans. I think they're going to continue to see that. And at the end of the day, as we touched on earlier, the American people, just like any people around the world, they want to know how their politicians are going to keep them safe, help them put food on the table and stay out of their lives. And right now, Donald Trump wants to do that, but both the Republicans and the Democrats seem to be trying to thwart those efforts. And if you take a look at who would you rather have, the Democrats, as we had for the past eight years, or the Republicans, voters, I believe, will hold their nose, vote for a rhino or a Tea Party guy or a Republican in the Trumpian mold over a Democrat, uh, and that's why I think uh, 2018 is going to look very good for the Republicans, even if Obamacare light passes. Yeah, uh, that's a, a very good analysis. And um, I got an email today, and, and I, I I tend to agree somewhat with what this emailer was saying. And I don't have the email in front of me, but basically they asked the question, why do you guys continue to cover, you know, these fake stories that are being put out by the media? Isn't just by you covering them alone bringing them more attention than they are already receiving. And I kind of understand that mentality, and, and obviously in having doing this day in and day out, you feel like, oh, you know, why are we still talking about this? But I think that the distinctions, there there has to be a voice for the other side, especially when the one side is 
is constantly, you know, making things up and lying and, and making false connections and uh, trying to create crimes where there aren't any, I think there there still needs to be that pushback from people who are willing to look through the details and find the truth in the matter. What do you think about that? Do you think we're, that we're giving more credibility to these fake news stories by covering them and pushing back rather than just ignoring them? It's all about how you frame it, right? If we're in a war in which we are, we're on one side, the Democrats and the media are on the other. Let's pretend we're both our own sovereign nations. Uh, are we, as a sovereign nation, not going to gather intelligence and let our own citizens know what the other side is disseminating to their citizenry? I mean, we have to look at this realistically. If we don't tell our folks what the other side is saying, then how is it that they're supposed to know what's in the mindset of those and of the people that we're against? So it's all about how you frame it. So, for example, yesterday or two days ago, I had the uh, New York Times story about uh, Donald uh, Trump Jr., and I had in my headline, New York Times claim, and then Donald Trump Jr. emails revelation with a question mark. That is a signal to my readers that I have tremendous skepticism, that they should read this piece with tremendous skepticism. With that all being said, it's important to know what the other side is saying because, God forbid, the government media complex wins uh, in their battle uh, to get Donald Trump out of the White House. We don't want a big swarm of, of the population waking up and saying, well, how come we didn't read about this? This wasn't happening. How come, how come nobody told us that they were, there was this coup, this silent coup by the deep state in place? So I think it's important how you frame it. So I'm not hesitant to publish news about C from CNN, Washington Post, New York Times, on Vessel News. It's how you shape it that matters. And anybody that doesn't want to know what the other side is saying ever, well, I'm sorry, that's the wrong way to go about it if you're fighting a war. No, that's very well said, and I agree with you. And uh, one of the things that I really, I don't know, maybe it's some sick and twisted like this, but I enjoy the media analysis. I enjoy analyzing the media, seeing, you know, the percentage of coverage that certain stories get versus other stories and, and the response and how they... Um, one, one thing that I think Donald Trump has done, whether knowingly or unknowingly, uh, very brilliantly is not it is exposed who America's and the Constitution's true enemies are, and it's not just by who's coming against them, but it's by who's just jumping on the bandwagon and trying to to throw this administration and more importantly the agenda that he was elected to implement under the bus. And I think that's one thing that many Americans do recognize, you know, hardworking, regular, everyday Americans, and they see that. And uh, I've always said that it was the agenda that we elected, not really Trump, even though uh, it was a reaction to Hillary Clinton and Trump was the man that was elected. I think it's the agenda more so than anything else that got him elected. And I do believe that uh, readers are smart enough to see between the lines and, and to, if they look deep enough, are, are smart enough to, to find the facts for themselves, especially with the Internet and the wide variety of, of reporting that's out there. Josh, we got about... um. 17 minutes left. I kind of want to switch gears. I want to talk about something that we don't, I haven't really talked about on the show too much. I see an article on your site, vesselnews.io for, and the article on your site, uh, is about Illinois wanting to legalize marijuana as a financial solution to what, what you have as the fiscal death spiral. 
we've talked about the um, the bankruptcy of, of Illinois and, and how um, near turmoil they are. They're already in turmoil. And then we have a polar opposite. In Nevada, a state of emergency was declared. Nevada has a drug problem. Shops are running out of marijuana. This article talks about Nevada officials have declared a state of emergency over marijuana. There's not enough of it. Since recreational pot became legal two weeks ago, retail dispensaries struggled to keep their shelves stocked and say they will soon run out if nothing is done to fix a broken supply chain. A state of emergency was declared by the Department of Taxation. They warned that the industry could grind to a halt because of the uh, they have not decided laws on how to uh, deal with the distribution aspect of it, getting the marijuana from the growers to the to the uh, places where they sell them, the dispensaries. Do you see marijuana and the taxation of marijuana as a, a legitimate um, fix, either temporary or permanently, to to certain economies? Well, I think if you take a look at uh, states throughout the world, uh, we've seen. Uh, to me, I'm I'm in, I'm really taking a look at. I'm thinking about how is a bunch of pot smokers going to negatively affect the economy? And from my studies, uh, we've seen that pot smokers' uh, proportion, uh, um, proportion-wise, in Australia and in, in Holland, um, that where where pot is legal, it doesn't really have an effect uh, on how many people are actually smoking it. So there's far less people than people think in Holland and Australia and other places that have easy access to marijuana, they're actually smoking it. So I'm really not so concerned uh, that all of a sudden the state of of uh, of Nevada uh, are going to become uh, all of a sudden all pot smokers and none of them are going to go to right. work. Uh, really what my problem is, though, is the moral decay that it comes in association with drug consumption. Uh, so it's unfortunate that uh, what we see right now today is that one of the only ways in which to spur uh, economic growth and prosperity or to try to plug some of these state budget holes is through uh, nefarious, and I'll say, you know, le- activities you'd want to hide from your mom and dad, right? Let's just leave it at that. So I think really it's a, it's a poor reflection on where we are in Western civilization uh, more than anything. So... But if you take a look at uh, it fiscally, uh, I think that it's very smart policy. And at the same time, I don't think that the government should be regulating uh, marijuana. There are plenty of studies that stipulate that it's far less dangerous than any of the other uh, dangerous substances that are legal to uh, acquire. So I'm in favor of it, but I'm really worried what that actually means for Western civilization, that this is actually a good way to plug these budget holes. Yeah, and to see Illinois um, <laughs> turning to that as a, a as a solution, it's kind of late in the game, but I understand uh, their position. As we see, the popularity of of uh, legalized pot seems to be growing all throughout the U.S., and that does do a lot economically, but it also can do a lot morally, as you pointed out. I want to kind of switch gears to another article on your site. I have not read this article, just the headline. U.S. spies had clear shot at killing Kim Jong-un on July 4th. Here's why it didn't strike. Can you get into that a little bit? Sure. Well, I mean, right now, I mean, we've talked we, we've talked a lot about North Korea uh, in our previous discussions, and right now we see things appearing to reach an apex uh, after the latest uh, nuclear uh, missile tip launch uh, test out of North Korea. Right now, we see a tremendous amount of pressure from the Trump administration being applied onto China, and China, for the first time, has turned around and said that. 
we are not the sole responsibility for North Korea. This has to be a group effort, internationally speaking, to try to apply pressure in North Korea to uh, make them uh, listen to us, uh, quite frankly, because they just don't even listen to the to the Chinese anymore. So right now what you're seeing is, is the reason why, as per the article, they did not take that shot and Kim uh, and kill Kim Jong-un is that they're trying to send a message to him. This is actually a very interesting psychological um, application that the both the uh, intelligence agencies and the uh, military apparatus are trying to apply to North Korea. They want Kim Jong-un alive when they take out that country. They want Kim Jong-un and the leadership to see the mass casualties that will take place if Donald Trump Tillerson and Mattis coalesce around a plan to take out the Hermit Kingdom. So they don't want to take out uh, Kim Jong-un because it's going to cause a power vacuum at the top. Um, they actually want to see this power structure be in place and fall out from under them. Uh, they want this to be an organic process, not a top-down uh, implosion. So that, I think, is the psychological warfare uh, that's being waged by not going about and assassinating Kim Jong-un when they easily could have on the 4th of July because he was so publicly inspecting uh, this uh, missile. That's an interesting... Um, see, to me, the, the way that Kim Jong, his attitude towards the U.S., and, and he, he seems like... Uh, he acts like he's untouchable. And so you're saying that they kind of put this out there as a psychological um, uh, game almost to him to you know, let him realize that he's not as, as safe and secure as he might seem. But then you went on to say that you want, you believe that they want him alive when um, they take, when the conflict happens between U.S. and North Korea, if it happens. Is that correct? Right. They don't want to take out Kim Jong-un at the top. They don't want there to be a power vacuum that, right, exactly. at the top. Uh, what they want to occur is to have the populace suffer mass, mass casualties so that they could then look to leadership to help them. Their leadership obviously doesn't have the know-how or the resources uh, to do so, and thus will come the psychological implosion in the societal psyche of the North Korean people that this style of government is not an effective means for peace and prosperity. Because if they kill Kim Jong-un and then there is mass chaos, well, the argument is, well, they killed the dear leader, right? If we only had our dear leader, things would have been better. But if there's mass casualties on the ground and Kim Jong-un, who is a deity among his people, is no longer able to help them, that is when the facade breaks off in ways in which you could never possibly repair it. It's a very deep, deep psychological game that both the State Department, the intelligence agencies, along with members of the Trump administration, are all coalescing around uh, and putting forth uh, in terms of the, the North Korean issue. So you believe that this is something because of the way the leadership in North Korea has manipulated its people, that it would be different from what we've seen in the Middle East in regime changes and, and overthrowing of governments where leaders have been taken out, like Gaddafi? Um, you think this would have such a negative psychological impact on the people and the vacuum of power that different cultures, have, yeah, different cultures, different countries, and different circumstances. So it would have completely different effects. Correct. Um, I'm, I, w I wouldn't necessarily say that 
the North Koreans uh, would experience mass, mass calamity because they have some sort of uh, ethnic or historical, uh, or I should say some ethnic um, um, idiosyncrasies. Uh, but really, the North Korean regime is among the most totalitarian in history. And of course, in the modern world, it is the most uh, controlling. So if you take out the leadership, uh, what you're essentially doing is is showing a mirror to the uh, <clears throat> a window to history to the North Koreans, saying that the Americans or the Western world has a history of taking out their leadership, and this leadership implosion causes mass calamity and societal degeneration and, and breaking up of the country, like we've seen in Libya and Iraq. But if you cause if you cause mass casualties to the people, then the leadership actually begins to crumble, and therefore the style of government in which has been legitimized no longer uh, is that legitimate. So that's why I think that they're trying to go about it in the way in which they are, because otherwise the North Korean people are going to say, well, you know, he's just like. Muammar Gaddafi, Kim Jong-un, or he's just like Saddam Hussein. They take out our leadership and then the country goes to heck. Well, no. The country has to go to heck. Kim Jong-un has to fail. And then the style of government implodes. In that order, which I agree with you on that. I mean, I, I, it, 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 to, to right. me, it, that, it, yes. yeah, that makes sense. That, that makes perfect sense to me. we got about seven minutes left. I mean, think about the aesthetics Oh, go, yeah, yeah, think go. about the aesthetics. Okay. Mass starvation. Yep. Mass casualties. A tremendous amount of disease and despair. Uh, the imagery absolutely appalling. And then Kim Jong Un sitting in his palace gorging on French wine uh, and Swiss cheese. Uh, this is not the type of look that the North Korean leadership wants. However, if you're going to take out Kim Jong-un and members of the leadership, imagine the propaganda machine ramping up to levels not yet seen, steaming up the masses against the American people. Uh, so that's why I think they want to maintain Kim Jong-un. They don't want to, they don't want to assassinate him first because that's going to then lead to credence for his cause. But if they damage the North Korean people and then Kim Jong-un cannot effectively help them and save them, well, they could blame the Americans, but it's then up to Kim Jong-un, the great dear leader, to fix the societal woes in which they're experiencing. If he can't do that, then they have no legitimacy. Understood. If you, No government that cannot protect its own people has legitimacy. And, and, That's why they want to maintain him on power to fail. Okay, and that that does make perfect sense. And again, that, that that's to me that's the uh, view from cruising altitude and the a, a, a tremendous good analysis and assessment of mm -hmm. specifically of North Korea, but uh, in in this case, right on the money. Uh, in the, in the time that we have left, Josh, take us wherever you want to take us. I always like to ask this question of our guests: What's on your heart? Uh, the news, all of all the news items, geopolitically, domestically. Uh, here in the United States or throughout the West, what do you feel right now, this time, is something that, that perhaps we're all missing, uh, or that you, you think that we should really kind of drill down, drill down on in terms of, uh, topics? Sure. Um, one of the issues right now that, that I'm seeing, 
uh, is there is a tremendous amount of concern with how artificial intelligence, virtual reality, augmented reality uh, are now moving into the labor force and taking jobs away. And I understand that the hokey pokey talk that we could learn and do anything and we could always aspire to be better individuals tomorrow as we are today and the day before. But I'm deeply troubled with uh, the rhetoric from both sides of the aisle uh, that seem to be complicit and complacent in seeing robots very slowly but surely systematically take jobs from everyday people. Um, one of the things that I'm thinking about, and I'm just throwing this out for the audience to discuss and for you and I to think about, is how do we train, how do we make sure that people that are in positions today do not lose their jobs to robots in the future and not feel like this is just inevitable? That's really the thing that I'm thinking about. Um, that's really, really concerning is this almost this this un-American, un-Western civilization-esque complacency that says, oh, you know, self-driving cars are going to take all our jobs. Uh, you know, that, that those, those evil Silicon Valley sultans. We've got to do something about this. There cannot be complacency. We, we, historically, complacency gets people killed. We weren't complacent. Revolution, World War One. I, I mean, it's just too, I mean, there's just, there has to be something done about this. This is really what's on my mind. And, and you know, that's interesting. I, I see the almost celebratory nature of, of this. Oh my goodness. Uh, isn't AI great almost? Of course, I'm, you know, uh, paraphrasing. This is from factory workers to, to fast food, uh, establishments where they're putting kiosks in place of cashiers and, uh, you know, making uh, the food with, with, uh, with robots and and uh, we can see how this can really snowball. And this, by the way, I, I was alive, uh, of course, an adult when they brought in the ATMs, and everyone back then thought, "Oh my goodness, uh, no more bank tellers because of these ATMs." This is nothing like that. By orders of magnitude, it's much greater the threat and the uh, sophistication, and th- and that's what you're seeing, I think, right? No, it, it certainly is because now the artificial intelligence is reaching levels in which these systems could be applied to a multitude of different positions and vocations. So whereas an ATM can really fulfill only a handful of duties within one sector of banking, which is the, you know, uh, receiving and, and uh, dispersing cash, uh, you're seeing now the same software that's teaching languages to other robots picking stocks for the world's largest hedge funds. Yeah, you have an article up there about the... And- one of the things people need to understand is during this last presidential election, there were these, uh, I don't know if you call them weaponized, but these, these AI type hedge funds that were in play in both the Democratic and Republican parties. And some of the news is just coming out about this, um, but it has been out for a while for people who have been paying attention. And there, and what your article points out is that, um, we don't know if they outperform or are better or worse than humans. Well, their task. what Josh is saying, I believe, is, of course, the, the threat to the humanity. To, oh, yeah. You know, but, but and I'm glad you brought that up because I, I think this is something personally that I've missed, and I'm glad you're on top of it. And I, I know that uh, many people out there or a lot of our listeners out there are not, uh, they're like me, they're not as savvy with this, but but you're, you're seeing the larger ramifications. I, 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 
how, how big of a threat? How soon? I mean, we're, we're seeing it happen already, but are we looking at, you know, oh boy, here in three, four years, we're going to be in some big trouble with, with this AI integration? Well, I mean, there's a variety of different studies that are out and they all have a number of different conclusions. Uh, you know, they, uh, there's a report that we had on vesselnews.io, uh, two, three weeks ago that said that, uh, 40% of British jobs within the next 50 years are going to be completely automated. Within the next 150 years, 100% of our jobs are going to be automated. Now that is quite a high number, uh, but as they say, shoot for the uh, stars and land on a cloud. So if there's any percentage that's within that vicinity, it's deeply troubling for the cohesion of a prosperous and peaceful society. Uh, the thing that I would um, that I would say is that it's a uh, the the problem is is we have to try to figure out ways to build the very technology that's going to replace us, not just become obsolete entirely. And then that brings in talk of the you know universal basic income and. You want to talk about yeah. complacency. I mean, that's the worst of the worst. Josh Kaplan, VesselNews.io is the website, VesselNews.io. Make sure you bookmark it, folks, and check it daily. It's a great news curation website that has all the top stories from around the Internet and mainstream media daily. Josh, thank you so much for joining Thanks us. Thanks for being so gracious. Thank you. All right, we'll be right back with former senator and author Tom Coburn. He's the author of Smashing the D.C. Monopoly, right after this. Greenovative. Go to agmanreport.com. Click on the link to Greenovative. But what Greenovative is, it's a small company in Florida. They created something called the GMAG Power Cell. It produces electricity by adding salt water to this unit that recharges rechargeable batteries. It's the coolest thing you'll ever see in your life. It's really neat. Really a, a super device. All right? You need just two teaspoons of ordinary table salt, a little water, but a thing you're charging your recharge. Batteries. Super GMAG chargeable is affordable. It's lightweight, weighs about eight ounces. It's durable. It's EMP proof, and it's environmentally friendly. Yeah, that it is. It'll provide safe and convenient power for recharging uh, six AA batteries off the grid when other power sources aren't available anywhere, anytime, in any weather, day or night. Go to greenovative.com. That's greenovative.com. Folks, in these uncertain times, it just makes sense to have a sustainable backup method for accomplishing one of life's most important tasks, and that's preparing food. This is the way to go. There is nothing better than a Minuteman rocket stove from MinutemanStove.com. We all need a way to cook and a method to process water. I mean, think about it. Think about the many things that could happen to you. Minuteman rocket stove can provide your family or group the perfect solution. It's small, lightweight, wood-burning, and every bit as powerful as a kitchen stove. It's smoke and fully self-contained for clean storage and transport. Because it's so efficient, it cuts down on your wood gathering and processing chores to a tenth what would be required if cooking the old-fashioned way over an open fire. So don't rely on gas or fuel stoves. Prepare your family. Prepare for yourself. Order a Minuteman rocket stove today. It's going to make bad times much better. Folks, MinutemanStove.com. MinutemanStove.com. Need I say more? You should have a Minuteman, the survival stove in an M.O.K. 
For investors, timberland has become the symbol of safety. Global tropical timber demand continues to surge as the world's population increases. The need for managed, sustainable timber production forests has never been greater. When stock markets crash, trees keep growing. Direct ownership of fully managed tropical timberland acreage is now available to accredited investors. Prime, valuable hardwood groves close to the beautiful Costa Rican border generate and maintain superior long-term wealth. Consider visiting our forest plantations. Qualified accredited investors should go to PreciousTimberProfits.com or dial 855-888-6288 for more information. Call 855-888-6288 or visit PreciousTimberProfits.com. This announcement does not constitute either an offer to sell securities or a solicitation of an offer to purchase. Offering made by prospectus only. 855-888-6288, PreciousTimberProfits.com, PreciousTimberProfits.com. And welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to this edition of the Hagman and Hagman Report. HagmanReport.com, that's where to go for all of the information, program descriptions, everything, HagmanReport.com. And uh, I want to thank Global Star Radio Network for carrying our program. That's Global Star Radio Network, 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time, as well as BTR. Of course, we're archived on Blog Talk Radio and YouTube Live. So between the three multiple platforms, a lot of listeners want to say hello to Henry, of course, and, and uh, listening live in Germany. Always, always great to have uh, our German listeners checking in with us. A couple from Finland. Thank you so much for listening, and of course, uh, Norway, as well as many in the United States and Canada. Uh, this hour, we've got a very special guest, a guy that a gentleman that I uh, I do have a lot of respect for. He's a, a former politician. Now, you know how I feel about uh, politicians. Uh, however, <laughs> I gotta tell you, uh, as far as members of the political leadership, past, present, are concerned, this gentleman is someone I do respect. His name is, uh, Mr. Tom Coburn. Before we get to Mr. Coburn, I do want to remind people that Portions Nice Broadcast brought to you by Casper Mattress. How did you sleep last night? Let me ask you. Uh, did you just sleep well? Well, folks, the best mattress you can buy, in my view, and I've got back problems. And you know, and, and my wife has trouble sleeping often. We have a Casper mattress. Casper is the best mattress you can buy. It's an obsessively engineered mattress at a shockingly fair price. They give you 100 free nights of, uh, trial in your own home risk free. It's, uh, designed, developed, and assembled right here in the United States. It, you, you can't beat it. You can't beat it with a stick. Go to Casper.com. That's Casper.com forward slash CFP radio and use our coupon code CFP radio. More on that later. Without any further ado, I, I do want to bring, uh, Mr. Uh, former Senator Tom Coburn in. He's the author of a book, which I just finished today. I just finished today. Uh, the name of the book, of course, Smashing the DC Monopoly. And this is going to be the, the uh, nature of our discussion today, talking about his book and about how to smash the DC Monopoly, especially given all of the, well, everything that's going on in Washington, DC. Uh, Dr. Coburn, thank you so much for joining us tonight. I am pleased to join you. Thank you for having me. 
Well, I'll tell you, it's our distinct pleasure and honor. And for those who don't know, uh, Senator Coburn, uh, he was elected in, to the House of Representatives back in 1994. And, uh, he's, that was part of that. Remember the Republican Revolution where things were going to change? Well, um, uh, to his credit, I have to say that, uh, Senator Coburn was, was a, was a big part of that, what was changed. And, uh, he and his wife, Carolyn, by the way, is a former Miss Oklahoma, married back in 1968. They've got uh, beautiful children, grandchildren, and a great family, and uh, they're leaders of their community. But Senator Coburn, with respect to your book, Smashing the D.C. Monopoly, you, uh, if I can start out by asking you this question, a big part of this book is Article 5 of uh, the Constitution. I guess coming out of the gate here, What's the? How would you describe the problem in or the Beltway having been an insider, and how do we fix it? As you map out here in your book, smashing the DC monopoly. Well, the problem. Pardon me. The problem is, is we keep sending people to Washington, who become a part of Washington, and they breach the trust that they have with us. And then their goal is to have a position of power not to fix the problems of our country. And, you know, I'm sure that's always been to some degree part of the problems in Washington. But we, we over the last 60 years have built a, a, a gigantic, uncontrollable behemoth in Washington through the career politicians, uh, much to the deficit of our kids and our grandkids. And so what happens is most people who go to Washington succumb to the power and the trappings of power rather than keep their oath. As a matter of fact, one of the things I did was challenge the Senate most of the time I was in it, is to look at your oath. Your oath doesn't say anything about your state. It says something about our country and the best long-term policies for our country. But if you look at the Senate today, two-thirds of them have never had a real job. All they are is career politicians, both parties. And they're going to make decisions that are best for them, not best for the country. And so we, we see the consequences of that, and we've seen it. You know, I, I, I served three terms in the House, came home, and four years later they talked me into running for the Senate. I served 10 out of the 12 years there and came and left. And I left because I don't see a solution for our country in Washington. I do see a solution for our country in Article 5. And Article 5 allows us to start deciding what's going to happen in our country rather than the elite Washington uh, group that is there who is supposed to represent our interests but don't. They represent the political class's interests. If, if you don't mind, um, for those of us, many people out there who may have not paid too close attention in civics or history class uh, or government class, can you just give us a rundown on what, on, on, on the use, or what Article 5 is, um, okay. specifically? Now, Article 5 has two components in it. Uh, the, the, the second component during the Constitutional Convention was put in first, and then it was left out on the final drafting and was put back in. It was offered by Colonel George Mason, and uh, what he stood up and asked the members of the Constitutional Convention, do you know of any time in history where a government has voluntarily ceded its power back to the people. 
And, of course, the learned men that were at the Constitutional Convention knew there was never that had never happened. So they put in there a component uh, in Article 5 that allows the states, <clears throat> two-thirds of the states agreeing, to call a convention of amendments whereby the states would gather and offer amendments to back to the states for approval things that would fix and restore our Constitution. And so it would require 34 states to agree to very similar language to qualify to have a convention amendments of amendments and a state convention of amendments. And what that state convention would do would be to discuss the areas in the application that were made and offer suggestions to the states on how we ought to reform and restore the government so that the people, the people actually gets, get to decide rather than the bureaucrats in Washington deciding for us. And, and it is the safety valve that's big enough to solve the problem that we have in front of us. And it, what it would do is return power to the states. One of the biggest mistakes I think our country ever made was allowing popular election of senator. Because wow. what, you, what used to happen is our, our state senates and state houses, <clears throat> when they saw a senator voting not in the best interest of state rights, they'd pull them. And, and they'd recall them, and they'd put send somebody else to Washington that would protect the powers of the states. Right. And with the election through the 17th Amendment, of uh, popular election of senators, that power was lost by the state legislatures. You know, yeah, and, and I, I totally agree. And not too many people really understand the depth um, of, the, of that statement about uh, the election of, of our senators and, and how that came about and the history behind that. And I find that fascinating. And and I find it fascinating too uh, that you're you're in favor of, uh, well, I guess I guess changing that that that, that process. Um, now, with respect to Article Five or the changes that you you reference, and by the way, folks, we're speaking with the Honorable Senator Tom Coburn, uh, former senator, um, author of the book, by the way, Smashing. The DC Monopoly. If you go to the WND Bookstore, Superstore, and go there, use promo code Hagman. I highly recommend this book. I just, I, you cannot believe what's in it. The um, uh, the information that's in it, and I really <laughs> got an education that uh, a sorely needed education by reading it, uh, it, it while also finding out about uh, pork barrel projects. You know, a, a bridge to nowhere. Uh, the Keynesian. Uh, or Keynesian, I should say, economic debacles like the uh, $840 billion stimulus package and such. But, uh, Senator, is the will there? We, we know the, the, the... Yeah, the climate, the political climate we yeah. have today. With this division, do you think the states would be able to come together and just agree upon basic <clears throat> principles to try to change this uh, huge government bureaucracy we have? Well, I th- you know, I, they either will or they won't. Our job is to educate the Americans. Uh, you know, if, as you go around the country, what you hear people, and Pew Research supports this, 90% of Americans don't trust Washington. 
Well, that's a disaster. Because that means that we have an illegitimate federal government if the fact that people don't support it. <clears throat> so rather than to have anarchy and and all these other things that could happen as people with confidence in the rule of law, why not do what our founders gave us to restore the balance of power? And so our job is to educate America. Here, here's the, the, the most fun thing I do is to talk to people who've never heard about Article 5. <laughs> because most Americans think, well, there's just nothing to do. You, you know, the, the poli- politics is slanted. We can't have any influence on our congressmen or our senators. It's just going to be that way, and people are kind of giving up. And when you tell them is you, can, you individually can make a difference, by becoming an activist for Article 5 in your state and the resolution that would come through your state legislature, all of a sudden we get these Americans that are sick and tired of the federal government telling them what to do, when to do it, given liberties, liberties that were supposed to be protected for us in the Bill of Rights. So when you tell them about that, what you see is this big smile. Because the real question in America today is who decides? Who gets to decide about our future? Is it a career politician who's really not looking out for the best interest of the country? Or should it be the people making that decision? And you'll have all your political scientists and everybody else say, well, well, they're, they're doing what was intended. They're not doing what was intended. What was intended was a very small federal government, a very powerful state government, and everything that wasn't specifically spelled out for the federal government was reserved for the states. Well, we're just the opposite of that. And the average states own revenues that they collect in their states. Sixty percent of it is mandated by an unelected bureaucrat or bureaucratic rule. Nobody was ever elected that tells them what they have to do, but then it's enforced. It becomes law. And the annotated Constitution in that little bitty book that you can carry inside your coat pocket it now weighs 82 pounds but through all the bureaucratic regulations and laws that have been put forward and the judicial rulings that are against the Bill of Rights. So it's about restoring our Constitution and restoring our freedom. And I'm almost 70 years old, and I understand the tremendous loss of freedoms that have occurred in, during my lifetime as the government has ballooned to where it has its nose and everything. You know, Thomas Jefferson said this about education. He's kind of the father of education of our country. He built the University of Virginia. He said for the federal government to be involved in education would require a constitutional amendment. Hmm. Now, think about that. Hmm. Our original founders never intended for the federal government to be involved in education. Never. And yet education now is failing in America mainly to do because of the control, the rules, and the bureaucracy placed on states uh, inappropriately and much to the the deficit of learning in America. Very interesting, and and you're absolutely correct. In in fact, the government has has grown into this leviathan that's got its mitts into... Uh, many, many things. And your political career, I, I must say, if, if, uh, folks, um, if you look at, uh, the political career of, 
the Honorable Senator Tom Coburn, if you look at his political career, look at some of the positions he's taken. And I, I dare you to find uh, any any position that he's taken that is antithetical toward, uh, to the true uh, conservative and even the Christian conservative platform. You won't find any. Um, v- very interesting. Uh, indeed. Yeah, the, the education system, of course, it was almost designed that way, it, it seems like. I don't want to go too far in the weeds here, but it just seems like it was our education system has failed us so badly. How, how is it even possible that it, it failed us as badly as it did by chance? Oh, I think it's it's very easy to understand it. There's only two major things in our economy where we don't let the free enterprise system and competition allocate scarce resources. And those two things are health care and education. Uh, by any standard, the cost of health care is atrocious for what we get for it. And education is totally a failure in our country today because with 40% of the people graduating from high school and 30% that enter the ninth grade not graduating from high school, the 40% that do graduate have to be remediated before they can even take a college course. Mm. What we've done is we've allowed, not allowed parents and teachers to decide, we've allowed bureaucracies to decide. And, and there's no competition for excellence in the education system, except in the private sector or in the in the uh, parochial sector, and so what needs to happen is there needs to be competition for those dollars, for excellence to rise and to be rewarded. <clears throat> and what we have is a a continual downgrade of the quality of our education. There's exceptions all across across the country. KIPP schools are phenomenal. I don't know if you know about them, but <clears throat> they target the poorest of the poor and the the, the greatest social, sociologically disadvantaged kids, and they turn them around. But <clears throat> there are charter schools that control discipline and encourage and reward excellence. And uh, if the it, teacher doesn't perform, they're based. gone. It, yeah. It's a bit, yeah, merit-based, yes, very familiar, um, which is a good idea, and, and it, it should be applicable to across the board for a number of number of areas. Indeed, yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, I, I guess I, I do understand that now um, with respect to the the education, and and you are correct. Uh, um, wow. Yeah. Okay. The um, you, you had said getting back to Article Five. If I can, if I can just revisit that again in today's climate, um, you do because at least two chapters in your book, smashing the DC monopoly. And again, folks, go to uh, WND Superstore. This is a fantastic book. A lot of great information in there. Um, how long of a process would this be if, given the climate, given the the people right now, uh, the leadership in, in DC, uh, as well as looking at the looking at the landscape uh, across the United States s- statewide. I think I think it's going to take us two or three more years. Okay. <clears throat> I think next year we'll probably get 10 states. Okay. <clears throat> you know, the vision uh, the vision of this is restorative. The vision of this is not to point fingers but to restore. <clears throat> and when people figure out that this people have scared them. They say, "Oh, you can't do this. You're and, of course, one of the reasons I wrote the book is to make sure everybody understood 
Here's what our founders did. Here's how our founders, before there was a United States of America, this is how they used amendments conventions in their own states to correct things. <clears throat> so the the whole purpose of this is to restore us to a balance where the individual citizens gets to have a say, gets to have a say in terms of what's going to happen to their future and their kids, <clears throat> and it's not left to some some bureaucrat. So. Will it? Is it a high bar? Yes. To get 34 states to agree to anything is very, very difficult. <clears throat> but as people continue to see the decline in terms of, for example, we're now 17th in the world in terms of economic freedom. Mm. And people, people are asking why we're only growing 2%. We're only growing 2% because we've had a bureaucracy that smothered free enterprise. Sure. And, and for 200 years, we led the world in terms of economic freedom. So it's not hard to understand why we're not growing at 4% and wages aren't accelerating is because the regulatory state, the fourth branch of government, makes you spend thousands upon thousands of dollars for a business to prove that you didn't do something wrong yeah. rather than them prove you did do something wrong. So it, the, the whole setup has changed, and what we have to do is we have to restore it. But as that progresses, people are going to see more and more. we got to do this. And, and remember, yeah. the future of republics isn't great. We're the longest-standing longest republic. And if we want to save our country, then we have to restore the principles that built it in the first place. And that's self self self-sacrifice to accomplish something, personal responsibility, hard work, and reestablish what was destroyed during the Obama administration, the rule of law. The rule of law has to be the rule of law, and people have to have confidence in it. And if you do those things, <clears throat> then there's nothing that we can't do uh, in terms of restoring a vibrant economy. You know, most of our young people under 40 have never seen a vibrant America. They've never seen it. And, and yet, the, and they have no knowledge. And by the way, the same Pew Research says they don't even know anything about their government. So, so when we lose on education and they have no knowledge about the freedoms and what, how, why they have them and how they got there, four, less than 4% of the universities in the United States now require Western civilization as a requirement to graduate from college. Biggest mistake in the world that we shouldn't know history. And yet the average millennial knows no history and knows no civics and knows no government. And yet we're at, we're at risk for that. So we ought to be about re restoring those things. That's why I'm so happy that, that the, the competitive forces towards education are starting to return because people are saying, let's use what we know works. Accountability works. Hard works work. Hard work works. Uh, rewarding excellence works. And yet, we've had all these institutions run by the government that are just the opposite of it. Do you realize, that in terms of fraud, there's about two hundred and fifty billion dollars a year in federal programs that are defrauded. I mean, people don't know that. Two hundred and fifty billion. Two hundred and fifty billion per year. Yes, billion. And most Americans have no idea what a billion is. Let me tell you what a billion is. If you work for twenty-five years at forty thousand dollars a year, you'll make a million dollars. 
You have to work 25,000 years to make a billion. Wow. Wow. So, so, so we don't, you know, we say, we say those numbers, but we have no idea what it really means. And these are massive numbers. You know, if you, if you just take the earned income tax credit, that's $18 billion worth of fraud a year. People are cheating. If you take the new Medicaid expansion, half of the people who applied for the Medicaid expansion weren't eligible on the audits that have been done already. They lied. When you go and compare their auto loans to their application for Medicaid, they lied. So we've lost some of the moral structure of our country as well. Sure, it's we just, yeah. yeah. And, and so who's going to pay for that? And here, here's, here's where my heart is. My heart is, is my dad was born in a mud hut in the plains of Colorado, had to go to work when he was 10 years old when his dad went to jail, built a big business, was very successful. That could have only occurred in our country. Amen. How do we get that back? How do we reward hard work, reward effort, reward innovation, and not reward lack of, of self-reliance, not reward dependency? Because dependency is depression. You, you are limiting the potential of millions of Americans by, cre- by creating dependency rather than hard work and getting the rewards of that and earn success. So, you know, it's almost tyrannical what we're doing. A couple of specific, these aren't from me, these are from the... In 1963, the percentage of poverty in America that were below the poverty line was about 2%. In 2007, actually 15%, percentage is 19.8%. Now, there's 110 million more... And we've spent $37 trillion undermining self-reliance since 1963. The war on poverty was lost a long time ago. And now we have generation after generation. Rather than rewarding and giving life, blood, and happiness to earn success. And all these things are changeable if we as Americans... Stop fighting and start looking. Do we care about our kids? Do we care about the future? Are we interested in what can happen in the future if we in fact work together and start saying, you're going to pull your own weight, and if you can't, but you're going to have one, and you're going to get out and do your fair share. And what that does is give back dignity to those people who are dependent. It, it, that's exa- you're exactly right. Uh, our guest with us is the Honorable Senator Tom Coburn, the author of a number of books, but one in particular, Smashing the D.C. Monopoly. Uh, folks, I, I, I'll tell you what, I cannot recommend a book any higher than, than this. Uh, this from a Washington insider, uh, outlining exactly what, uh, what we can do, uh, what, what the problems are, but it, but what the, the Senator uh, Coburn has done is compiled uh, and provided the, the reader with a list of resources and uh, organization uh, organizations that are fighting for people. Smashing the DC monopoly is our guide. It's it, it, it's anyone who's interested 
in, uh, well, standing up for the next generation, defeating the me first, as the senator just described, that me first Washington elite who are uh, really bankrupting us in in mortgaging our future. This is the guide. This is the book to get. And again, smashing the DC Monopoly. Go to WND Superstore. Use the promo code Hagman. It's an enlightening book. Things like pork barrel projects, things like uh, the uh, stimulus package, things like the uh, uh, $20 trillion national debt, uh, which is about 150000 per citizen. It's just an amazing, so much information in here. But, uh, Senator, what you had said, uh, a couple of things. You, you had aptly described the generation. And I noticed during your tenure, during your term, your political life, very consistent on issues of morality. Very social conservative, fiscal conservative, but very uh, on the money with respect to, uh, for example, uh, abortion, anti, you know, very pro-life, anti-promiscuity, uh, all of these uh, but but this is a theme, I think, Senator, that's coming through, that, that, that that's running through uh, our, our our entire country, and in fact, all throughout the West. We have uh, we are not only illiterate, or have an illiterate generation in terms of laws, history, and such, but we also have a, uh, and I use this perhaps not as pejoratively as as as, as it's meant, but uh, degenerate kind of. Uh, generation as well, generations that need fixing as well. Well, you know, there's great examples of that. My oversight committee in the Senate, we did a study on disability, and and so we we actually monitored uh, three different uh, uh, Social Security offices throughout the country, and then we had independent people look at the rulings of the Social Security administrative law judges. And fully 50% of the people in this country who are on disability aren't disabled. But they don't think anything about taking the disability. So that tells us a lot. Sure. Uh, you know, and the other thing is, is one in 15 people in America is on disability check. Do you really think one in 15 people is totally disabled? There's no job in the economy they can do. It's not true at all. Man, that, 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 that just, you know, uh, Senator, uh, our, our history, my history, 30 years as an investigator in the private sector, and uh, I did work for uh, uh, Fortune 100 insurance companies, big, big carriers. Yeah, and the, the, the num- Yeah, the number, one, the number one issue was the disability fraud followed by um, the theft. For example, you know, someone got their 71 Pinot stolen with a Rembrandt in the truck, uh, trunk, yeah, uh, and, yeah. you know. But the uh, and and we've look I've testified before against I should say federal judges uh, for fraud. I mean it knows no uh, social social status. There's no stigma attached to, to this fraud. It's amazing. Well, but but we've taught that in our schools is you can't dare embarrass somebody uh, because they've made an error intentionally. There's no shame used anymore. That's why I like KIPP schools. Is if, if you're misbehaving in a KIPP school in the in the earlier grades, they make you wear your shirt inside out so everybody knows you were misbehaving. <clears throat> so they use the forces of 
for good. And this idea that that uh, you can't stand up and say that's wrong. I mean, you know, remember how much pressure you get if somebody stay, takes a stand and say this isn't right. The press comes after you like crazy. How dare you say it's not right? Some people are doing it. So the standard is, is whatever feels good, okay. But that isn't a standard for a free country to survive by. It won't survive because it implies that you don't have a rule of law and that the rules don't matter. And that whatever you can get by with, you get by with. So anyhow, Tocqueville said America's great as long as it it remains a, a good country. As soon as the people become not good, America won't be great anymore. So we we have a lot of work to do, but most of it we need to be working on is what we can do individually, both through the Convention of States. Right. Conventionofstates.com is the organization that runs all of this, and, and the volunteers that have come with 2.2 million volunteers. Think about that. That's where we are today in this this effort. Okay. There's 2.2 million people have signed up to help, and we want to grow that to about 10 million. Doable. This is doable. Um, the convention. Okay, so conventionofstates.com is where people can go to. Right, and that's where all. I took nothing for writing this book. The guy that helped me research it, uh, it has taken nothing. There's no profits that come to me at all. It all goes for towards this effort of having an amendments convention where we actually restore restore our freedom and restore the Constitution back to its original intent. Is, is, Senator, I, I've I've heard discussions about Article Five, and um, uh, I've, I've I've just I've I've looked at this. Is there any danger or downside to this? Yeah, the only danger or downside to it is not doing it. <laughs> okay. You know, it, what what you hear you hear you hear from two groups. You hear from the hard left that oh no you you'll take away our individual rights. You'll do all this. And you hear from the hard right that, oh, we can't do this. They'll take away our Second Amendment. They'll open up the whole Constitution. I put, spent a lot of time in this book to explain how this thing works and why that doesn't happen. But here, here's the point. is you Remember what this process is. First of all, you have to have 34 states that agree to the three parameters that we've outlined to have a convention to discuss just in those three areas. That's number one. Number two is anything that's outside of those areas, even if it were to pass a amendments convention, it's just a recommendation. But even if it passed the amendments convention, Congress would never send it to the states because it would be outside the parameters under which the application was made. So we we have an application for three things. Fiscal responsibility, i.e. balanced budget amendment using real accounting, instead of the cheating accounting that the federal government does every year. Number two, limit the scope and jurisdiction of the federal government. In other words, restore their state's rights. Put the decision-making back in the hands of the states. And finally, limit the terms of both appointed and elected officials. So that's the only three things, three areas where that can work. But let's say that all the naysayers are right and they, they do something other than that. So first thing that happens is the Congress can do anything like that now. And everybody isn't shaking in their boots because they know they wouldn't do it, right? They wouldn't do anything detrimental to our right. freedom. 
other right. than what they've done is the frog in the slowly eating boiling water. So they, the Congress can do it now. The states are much less likely to do something. The Congress has already proven it'll do anything to enhance their power and lessen our power. That's true. So that's the first thing. The second thing is Congress would never send it to the states because they'd get sued because it's outside the parameters. The third thing is, is you know, the states aren't a bunch of yokels. I've, I've been in 27 states in the last year. And every state legislature I come up against is really pretty well informed about it, their own state, and they're really informed about wanting freedom and really informed about wanting to make decisions closer at home where we can actually have an impact on them. So to think, remember, anything that comes out of this convention would have to have 38 states say yes. That means, so let's take, for example, the the bad scenario that the hard, hard right takes, they're going to take away your Second Amendment rights. <clears throat> would you really think there, there are 38 states that would do that? And that there's not 13 judiciary chairmen in either the House or the Senate in other states that would say, we're not taking that up, that's stupid, that's crazy. You know, something like that wouldn't get 10 states important. So, you, so what you have so, to think about, exactly. and if you actually believe that, you're schizophrenic to begin with. Exactly, because I, I've seen that. Um, I've seen the argument that you just described, and to me, that that's just ludicrous, uh, given the safeguards built in. It's impossible. Uh, go ahead, sir. It's right. impossible. You know, if if we have ten million people, and that's the reason we're building this army, because once we get the convention, we want to make sure the good things to restore things actually pass in 38 states. So it's going to take a grassroots army to make sure that happens. And 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 so we're not about to let something crazy happen. Nobody is. Nobody wants that. What we want is freedom. We don't want loss of freedom. There's no risk for loss of freedom. What we want is a bureaucrat who wasn't elected anything to quit making decisions about our kids' lives. Amen. What we want is a true economic model that gives real economic freedom so that if you have a good idea and you work hard, you get rewarded for it. What we want is a economic system where you don't have wage stagnation and that the average person can grow their wealth and their material well-being more than inflation every year. So that their boat will rise. That's what we want. We want everybody to get ahead. And we don't want to do it by sacrificing our freedoms we have now. That's why we're not growing now. We want to reverse that trend. So nothing could be further from the truth than those people. And here's the final point I'll make. When you're in a group of people and there's an idea and there's pretty good consensus, there's always this one person that says, their, their, their legitimate complaints are all based on fear. Yes. Well, this country wasn't founded on fear. This country was founded on courage. And if we want to keep it, we have to have courage to do the right thing. The thing our founders gave us to solve the problems that we're experiencing today. Fear is our enemy. Courage Absolutely. is our ally. Amen to that. And I, I would direct uh, our listeners and our viewers to the website conventionofstates.com. They're explained very well. And uh, folks, this website, 
Uh, there's so much information. And, and through this website, you can volunteer. You can uh, become informed. You can become a leader. Um, but the uh, it outlines the problem, of course, as the Honorable Senator Tom Coburn has about the federal government, which has overreached its constitutionally established boundaries. The solution, which is in our, uh, the invocation of Article 5 of the United States Constitution. And then, of course, the strategy, which is laid out within this website. And by the way, Senator, I have to say that in looking at this in preparation for uh, the interview, uh, I, was, I found it very interesting, the... Uh, what was it? The nineteen, the late seventies, early eighties. I don't recall. Um, panel discussion about Article Five with uh, Anton Scalia. Yeah, uh, I just thought that was really interesting. Well, you know, you know, he's been misquoted. The people who are against this only misquote one statement he said out of context. But if you look at what he said and his embracement. Uh, of this, and, and and if you knew him at all, and I got to know him personally because he loved opera, my daughter's an opera singer. Uh, this guy loved the Constitution, but he loved freedom more. And he 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 if, if you were if we were alive today and we were asking, he'd totally fully embrace what we're doing. You know, I I, I sense that. Um, I, I've got no basis for it other than. Uh, reading through the the website, the paper, the the uh, uh, which I, I think I downloaded in a PDF format. I, I don't specifically recall, but reading through that, I kind of I kind of sense that. Um, and by the way, folks, again, our, our guest um, here, we just have him for a short amount of time longer, is uh, the Honorable Senator, former Senator Tom Coburn. He's also a medical doctor. And um, by the way, talk about courageous, a cancer a cancer survivor as well, and. Uh, uh, busy as all get out. Would you say twenty-seven states in the last year? You, you were, yeah, you know? yeah. Oh my goodness! I, I've okay. spent two weeks at home this year so far. <laughs> well, welcome home uh, <laughs> for the two weeks. Uh, but his book, "Smashing the DC Monopoly: Using Article Five to Restore Freedom and Stop Runaway Government," is really a guidebook, and I think it's probably one of the one of the best uh, uh, instruction manuals for the American citizen today. On the problem, and I'm a proponent for this uh, for the for uh, for this initiative. I really am looking at it. The uh, if, if I can ask you a couple of more questions that that are at the periphery of this discussion, of course, we've seen your 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 pictures. The uh, you know you're seated next to uh, Barack Obama, um, and uh, discussing things with uh, former President Barack Obama. What did you, what's your overall, and I answer this however you'd like, but what's your overall feeling with respect to the eight years of Obama in the White House? Um, how would you define that, describe that as being, you know, so close to, to, to watching all that transpire? Well, I, th- I, th- I think a couple of things. I think Jimmy Carter's the happiest man in the world right now because he's no longer the worst president of the United States. Uh, that's number one. Number two is Barack Obama is an honest intellectual. He truly is a pure socialist. I mean, if you remember, he said, I want to change America. Yep. And then he did everything he could to do it. As a man, I really like him individually. Uh, I don't agree with hardly anything. Uh, we agreed on a couple of things when he was in the Senate with me, and we passed a couple of bills together. One of them was a transparency bill, which is really a good thing uh, that we're seeing play out now. 
but but he you know if you think about it, his his whole life experience was totally opposite of mine. I mean, he, he came from a mixed race family, which did not have significant means. Had a, had opportunities through programs to advance himself. He worked hard. He's smart, but he just came out on the other side saying, "Well, socialism is a better thing than than freedom." And you both you you, you both arrived in the, in the, at the Senate in the same year. Yeah, we uh, did. Yeah, and so, so here, here's the other thing: is if you want to change people, you got to love them. Mm. You, you you don't have to agree with them, but if you love them, all of a sudden they know you care, and so then they'll listen to you. So, so what we have today going on in Washington isn't a, isn't about trying to get people to listen to you. It's about yelling at people rather than trying to change people's point of view by being courteous, kind, and loving them. And uh, that's one of the things that I think the, the Senate really lacks today because we've gotten all this hard-edged uh, partisanship and lack of integrity, too. Harry Reid had the least integrity of anybody I've ever met in my life, and he was the majority leader of the Senate, which was right. very disappointing. Uh, and, and that matters. You know, when we say integrity doesn't matter, it, there's all sorts of ramifications to having leaders that don't have integrity. Amen. And, and we have to be about guarding against that. So okay, anyhow, I, my my time yeah. with you know, even after I left the Senate, I got calls from him on a friend a friendship basis, and people knew me well enough to know that I wasn't kissing somebody's behind, but I actually had an affection for an individual who I disagreed with. And uh, if you think about it, that's what we that's what the good book tells us to do: love our neighbor. Amen. That's right. Regardless of our ideological differences, of course, uh, right? We, we and you know to see what's taking place um, it breaks my heart because the civility is gone, the uh, decorum seems to be gone, or, or certainly on its way out. Um, there's so much hubris among among people, and uh, it, 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 it's it, it is kind of heartbreaking just to see this happen in America. Uh, which well, what, me- what I see, what I observed, was the arrogance of power, and that arrogance leads to poor judgment. And see, that's where I think we are today. These people have the capability to get along, but the judgment they're making through their own arrogance is, is I don't have to do that. Mm. I'm right. They got to listen. You know. In other words. The arrogance leads to this lack. And so it tells you that the basic character traits of a lot of our people who represent us in Washington have a character flaw in them, is they actually believe their own press releases. <laughs> True. That's a good way to put that. Okay. Yeah. Um, and in, in that same respect, um, and again, uh, I'm just, we're just having a conversation and, and, and I'm just curious, with respect to uh, President Donald Trump uh, and all of the uh, flack that's taking place and all of the attacks and everything that's going on, do you see, or how do you see this playing out if you can even, if you even want to go there? How, how do you see what's taking well, place? I, playing? I, look, I'm happy. I, I voted for Donald Trump for one reason, that's Supreme Court judges. 
I think he has a significant personality disorder called uh, narcissistic personality disorder, and I think that explains his his tweeting and, and some of his quirkiness. But in terms of what he's done so far, you know, other than tweeting, uh, some of the decisions he's made, uh, some of the appointments he's made, the regulation, the deregulation uh, that he's done. We haven't had a president do anything close to that in a long time. So, you know, nobody's perfect, and he certainly isn't. Who knows if there's anything going on? Uh, we certainly have 80% of the media that absolutely hates him, and 80% of the elites in America, you know, the fourth estate hates him, mm-hmm. uh, and, uh, the dark state hates him, and, and so he's not going to have a time over the next three and a half years because they're out, you know, they they didn't get their way and they're out to make it painful because they didn't. It's not good for America. Uh, I, I, I doubt many of those people's patriotism in terms of loving our country and, and make it, trying to make it work. But, you know, I think we wait and see. Uh, with the arrogance that you have with a narcissistic personality disorder, He's going to make a lot more mistakes. We just got to be ready for him. But all things considered, given the landscape, given the um, situation as we see it, I do believe that perhaps there's no better time or even no better reason to implement uh, which you, which you recommend in your book, smashing the uh, the DC monopoly. For sure, it's time to bring the decision making back home. The fact that you can't even turn on the news today without getting depressed because you're hearing the same garbage that's attack, 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 and there's no balance in the news, and there's no balance on either side in the news, it, it tells you that you know what you have is a, a, a circular knowledge area in our country called Washington, D.C., inside and outside the Beltway, that is dysfunctional and isn't in alignment with doing what's best for our country. So that's the other reason to have an Article 5. Let's bring the decision-making back home. Why should there ever be another building built for the federal government in Washington, D.C., where the average federal employee fully absorbed makes $139,000 a year and the average American makes less than seventy fully absorbed? Explain that to me. <laughs> Why should we have another federal employee making at those kind of levels twice what the average American makes? That's right. So, so, so it's 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 a mess. It's totally a mess. And what we need, and his leadership right now on a lot of these issues is right. He just didn't get any credit for it. That's right. Very so, well and, said. And I think he's a carnival barker. You know, he's one of those guys out there selling you a deal. And I think that's how his business career was. But I think overall, I'd give him a B for what he's done so far. Our problem is, is people don't, our young people don't have anything to compare to. If you think yeah, about it. Yeah, yeah, the last great president we had was Reagan. I, I was going to say, would that be an apt comparison, perhaps, or even that? Well, no, doesn't he doesn't come anywhere close to, I mean, he has, in terms of the regulatory environment, markedly done more than Reagan did. But right. in terms of create, the, a country lives off a vision of its leadership. Hmm. Reagan was great because it was positive, and he had used humor to bring Americans along on things they didn't at first agree to. Sometimes later they did agree, but he led. And we, you know, look at the House, look at the Senate, 
Where's our leadership? True. We don't have any great leadership. And we need visionary, character-based leadership if our country is going to survive. We have big problems. There's no way we pay off the $144 trillion in unfunded liabilities that our millennials are going to absorb. That's a million seven hundred thousand a piece right. over the next 50 years that the millennials, this 85 million Americans, are going to have to pay for. So what they're going to have is a standard of living far lower than what we're experiencing today, and it's all because the leadership in Washington failed to work on the real problems of our country because they were too busy worrying about their own political careers. And and you've you've that's exactly right. You've said it. Uh, you, you've said it all. Uh, and and again, I commend you. We commend you uh, for your marvelous work smashing the DC monopoly and the initiatives. Of course, laid out in the book, which again I would urge everyone to to grab a copy of, and of course the website um, conventionofstates.com, where the problem, solution, and the strategy is well defined. And I and, Here, here's the challenge to your listeners. Go ahead. The next time you catch yourself complaining, and you haven't read this book on how to fix it, shut up. Because <laughs> you don't have you, if if you're going to complain but not work hard to fix it, you're not any better than the politicians in Washington. Amen. But if you want to complain, learn how to fix it, and this book will tell you how to fix it. It'll enthuse you. It'll give you hope. There are ways to solve our problems, and and we the people are the ones that can do that. It's not the politicians. They're not going to fix our problems. Washington will not solve our problems. I mean, it's a joke they're even thinking about trying to fix health care. There's nothing Washington can do to fix health care except eliminate every federal law associated with it and let the states figure it out and let markets allocate scarce resources. I had that same conversation with a gentleman today uh, in, in a hospital room about uh, uh, about his situation. And, you know, his words... Despite his uh, condition, his words were, uh, I'm not sure what made me feel worse, the uh, procedure or the, the fact that I had to deal with uh, all of the government uh, bureaucracy in uh, getting the procedure yeah. done. It's just well, here's, here's what we know, just so your listeners, and I may have, if I've re- repeated myself, let me know. We know that of the $3 trillion, $3.2 trillion that's spent on health care in America, every year that over 25% of it doesn't help anybody get well and doesn't prevent anybody from getting sick. So we know that a fourth of it's just total waste. Total waste. Nothing. No benefit from it whatsoever. The second thing we know is is you can't know what something costs in healthcare ahead of time. Unless you're really aggressive. And in my hometown, Tulsa, Oklahoma, if you want to go get an MRI at the hospital, it's going to cost you 3700 bucks. But if you go down here to Servant Radiology, a guy that's a follower of Jesus, that says, I'm out here to help people, you can get it done for 700 mm. So why would you ever get it done for 3700 when you can get it done for 700 Because somebody else is paying your bills. Because if it was really your money, you wouldn't spend that at all. You'd go to a place where you get it done for 700 That's right. So the the only answer to healthcare in America is let's let markets work. Let's trust Americans to make good decisions. They will if you give them the information. So you got to have price transparency. 
So our problems aren't insolvable. We just got the wrong people working on them. We got politicians working on them instead of us. And we need to move it closer to home to where we can have control. Wow. What an incredible and informative uh, hour that we've spent together, uh, Senator Coburn. My goodness, it's it's gone so quickly. In the remaining minute that we have, um, any words of any additional words of wisdom, anything that you would like to promote? Of course, we're going to be promoting your book uh, throughout the program and throughout the week and, and as the days go on, but... Is there anything close to your heart in closing? Well, sure. You know, I'm, one of the things I've done is help start a, a nonprofit foundation that actually is out there trying to educate millennials about our country and the free enterprise system and the importance of the rule of law and the importance of the Bill of Rights and free speech. And so we're, we're trying to do that. You know, we have to compete for the hearts and minds of our kids. The university system has sold them on socialism. And we have to be in the fight if we want to win. And it's not saying all 85 million millennials are socialists, but what they've been, how they've been indoctrinated causes them to question a great deal the great uniqueness and greatness of America. And we have to be in that fight. And so we ought to challenge every chance we get when, when a university says we're not for free speech. We ought to say, wait a minute, the money ought to stop going to this university if you don't believe this is a place where people can offer their ideas and do it with, with without significant uh, pressure to conform to the status quo or political correctness. You know, what we need is more discussion, not less. We need indeed, more indeed. thought, not less. Senator, we are at the top of the hour network break. I just want to say thank you so much. Your nonprofit is is what? It's Foundation to Restore Accountability. Foundation to Restore Accountability. All right, Senator, thank you so much for your gracious gift you of bet. time. God bless and you, and thanks for the time. All right, brother. Thank you, sir. Bye-bye. Putting the honorable back in, the honorable Senator, uh, my goodness, Senator Tom Coburn, medical doctor, former senator and a, just a, a dynamic man a man that uh, I've got a lot of respect for Joe does as well we will be right back with Pastor David Langford after this don't go anywhere the beast Daniel Holdings wrote about the God Particle before CERN actually discovered the God Particle. In As the Darkness Falls, Daniel wrote about an Islamist terrorist confederacy that rose up out of Syria and declared a caliphate three years before ISIS was ever heard of. In his newest novel, Between the Veil, Daniel talks about a space between dimensions where supernatural beings can walk. He says that these novels are a warning from the Creator to his creation. Will war come to America? Will the world's economies collapse? Are we looking at increased earthquakes and volcanic activity? Will the United States fall into civil war? You can find all of Daniel's work at his website, DanielHoldings.com. That's DanielHoldings.com. All of these things and more are talked about in Daniel's books. To find out what's coming next, go to DanielHoldings.com. Worldwide demand is making coconuts one of the highest yielding cash crops available today. Coca-Cola, Pepsi, and many high net worth individuals have invested billions of dollars into coconuts for strong growth and solid long-term income. Yields could be as high as 18% or more per year. 
Capital appreciation and exceptional income for up to 60 long years would be an absolutely brilliant investment to pass on to future generations. Diversify wisely with direct ownership of fully managed coconuts on prime farmland close to the beautiful Costa Rican border. For more information, qualified accredited investors should go to ProfitsInCoconuts.com or phone 855-888-6288. That's 855-888-6288. This announcement does not constitute an offer to sell securities or a solicitation of an offer to purchase. Offer made by prospectus only. 855-888-6288 or visit ProfitsInCoconuts.com. ProfitsInCoconuts.com. You may never look at your city, town, or its people the same way ever again. Stained by Blood, a murder investigation based upon a true story by private investigator Douglas J. Hagman. Using the character Mark Stiles, Hagman takes you on a journey behind the scenes where the homicide becomes a secondary to an underworld of satanic ritual abuse, child abduction, and even mind-controlled experimentation. For five years, a brutal killer remained on the loose, free to kill again. As Mark struggles to navigate the maze of bizarre twists and untangle a web of deeply hidden secrets kept by some of the most powerful and influential people in this community and beyond. Stained by Blood. Order your copy of this engaging novel today at HagmanandHagman.com and click on the link. Stained by Blood. At HagmanandHagman.com and click on the link. Stained by Blood. Edition of the Hagman Hagman Report, HagmanReport.com. That's our website. Go there for uh, check it every day, and of course follow us on social networking. And of course, uh, please uh, subscribe to our YouTube feed, YouTube channel. That is, please subscribe. Did I say please? I did say please. As well as our social networking, the reason, of course, is we need to raise our visibility and keep the visibility high. I got an email yesterday. Or it was early this morning, um, and I've been getting emails like this for the last uh, several weeks where people have been unsubscribed to our YouTube channel. For some uh, reason that happens a lot. I don't uh, know. I, yeah, I don't it's quite, done automatically, lack of use. I don't it happens know. to us with other channels, and but, it seems to happen to people who, who right. listen to our channel. So if you don't mind, um, please, we, are, we really need that uh, heightened visibility. And, and we, we're counting on you to do that. Um, and that, that goes, too, with all of our guests who have YouTube channels and the social networking platforms as well. Uh, we've got uh, just a tremendous welcome back. I want to just embrace this man, uh, Pastor David Langford, thevoiceofevangelism.com. He is our pastor, my pastor, that is. Uh, we consider him at the studio our pastor and uh he's just a just a tremendously knowledgeable man about the bible if uh, if i knew a third and i'm i'm working at this i really am i'm working at uh learning the bible as as well as pastor La- david langford knows the bible well, if you're going to live a lot longer uh, yeah I, i'm going to need like a life extension <laughs> believe me uh before <laughs> before we get to pastor langford uh one thing that one thing that does help me is a good night's sleep and uh Folks, you you remember John Robertson, our uh, producer, has, had come to the studio and spent some time here at the studio. He's he's moving here 
uh, to northwest Pennsylvania. That's the plan. But he uh, he slept in the in the guest bedroom at my home. And as he was leaving uh, to to get to the airport, I, I I heard this noise in the guest bedroom. I look and he's uh, he's got the the mattress. He's trying to put it uh, in his uh, luggage. I'm kidding, of course. But in all seriousness, Casper Mattress has got the best mattress, bar none. Uh, he, he, in fact, John said it was the best sleep that he's ever got, and you can even ask him. Uh, we, I, I've got back problems. I've got arthritis. My wife has got arthritis, horrible arthritis, and she has never ever slept. She, she said, you know, this is the best mattress for my arthritis because Casper's a sleep brand that created a perfect mattress and better yet it's sold directly to the consumers in other words there's no middleman that is in a showroom type of setting uh, that thus that eliminates the commission driven inflated prices and its award winning sleep service was developed in house it's got a sleek design it's delivered in this crazy box small box you, you, you gotta wonder how they did that uh, the uh uh, the delivery person that delivered our Casper mattress, and you have to understand, this is for a king-size bed now, said, what's in there? And I said, it was a mattress. And he said, no. I said, oh, yeah, yeah, a mat- mattress. Because on, on the on the box, it has Anyway, uh, but we were laughing about that. But, but you know, the mattress industry has forced consumers into paying just such high markups. With Casper, they are revolutionizing the way that uh, you and I shop by cutting out the dealer. And their in-house team of engineers, they spent so many, and you could tell, so many hours, thousands of hours developing uh, the Casper. It's, it's It's got supportive memory foam for a sleep surface that's got just the right sink and just the right bounce, plus that's breathable. The design sleeps very cool. It helps regulate your temperature through the night. And buying a Casper is completely risk-free, folks. They offer free delivery, free returns of the 100-night home trial. If you don't love it, they'll pick it up and refund you everything. They understand. They fully understand the importance of truly sleeping on a mattress before you commit, especially considering that you're going to be spending a third of your life on it. Uh, I, and, by the way, I do suggest when, while you're sleeping, having uh, the Bible playing in the background, oh, that, that's, that's, that's a double bonus as well. Again, it's an obsessively engineered mattress, Casper Mattress is, at a shockingly fair price. A combined support of memory foam screen, award-winning sleep surface with just that right level of sleep. They've got over 20,000 reviews, average of 4.8 stars. It's, it's quickly becoming the, one of the Internet's, uh, or the internet's uh, favorite mattresses. Now, that's based on uh, a number of uh, Casper, Amazon, and Google re- reviews, for example. Free shipping to the United States and returns within the U.S. and Canada. Try for 100 nights, risk-free in your own home. If you don't love it, they'll pick it up. It's designed, assembled, right here in the great old U.S. of A. And I've got to tell you, um, we have a special for you. Just for the radio listeners, go to casper.com slash CFP radio. That's casper.com slash CFP radio. And enter our code, CFP radio. Get $50 toward any mattress purchase by visiting casper.com slash CFP radio and using CFP radio. And by the way, they've got, they've got beautiful dog beds and, uh, bed for your pet. Lady loves hers, pillows and sheets. Just, just have at it. You, you will be thanking me for a good night's sleep. Again, casper.com slash CFP radio and our code CFP radio. Joe, I'm going to kick it over to you and I'm going to thank Pastor for, uh, his patience as we, walk through the 
housekeeping introductions and all sorts of things. And the, of course, uh, saying goodbye to Senator Tom Coburn, uh, fantastic man. Yeah, Pastor Langford, it's great to have you back on the show. How have things been going with you? We've been doing very well. Thank you for asking. Excellent. Can't complain over here either. Yeah, we, That's well, great. no, we do. I do, Pat. Yeah, he uh, does. Pastor. I complain all the time. I got to stop that. But anyway. you know, it doesn't do any good to complain. Sometimes does it? You know, my wife, God bless her. Uh, she said to me earlier today. Uh, she said, "Are." <laughs> Is are, when, when are you going to stop? And God bless her. I mean, she's got uh, she she had major surgery, a whole bunch of staples removed. Uh, it's, it just hurts like like heck, like the Dickens, and uh, uh, it hurts just to even like wear uh, you know wear clothes over over the incision. And and I'm complaining about something minor, and I feel you know very little, especially after she said, "Are you done? Are you, anything else you want to complain about?" <laughs> So, anyway. Well, having to live with guys like us is not an easy task for any woman. <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> uh, Pastor, I can't wait to I can't wait to hear what you have for us uh, tonight. I, I really can't. I, I, we've been needing this spiritual B well, shot, B twelve shot. Well, we all need encouragement. We need strength, and we need understanding. Uh, there is so much misunderstanding. And to get on the bandwagon, fake reporting of the scriptures, uh, it, it's really become egregious, the depth of it. I've got a lot of emails the last several weeks. People are concerned because there are those out there in our realm who are denying a literal antichrist, that it is only a spirit, that it is a system but that it's not a man or preterist who, you know, believe it's already come to fruition and uh, it's already passed, so it's it's a historical event. But the reality is the scriptures refute that in its entirety because the Antichrist is a man just like the Son of God was a man incarnate in the flesh. And this man is going to be Satan's greatest display of demonic power. Now, the Antichrist is not the personification of Satan. He will be empowered by Satan because the Bible tells us in Revelation 13 and 2, the dragon or the devil gave him his power and his seat and his great authority. This power, this seat, and this great authority is given to him by Satan. You know, in uh, Luke's gospel, and Luke chapter 4, Satan offered Jesus all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. That's very interesting. Uh, I, I allude to that in my book, Revelation 13, how the devil took him up to the pinnacle of the temple. And I'll never forget reading that, and I thought, why the pinnacle of the temple? So I began to research where exactly is the pinnacle of the temple. The pinnacle of the temple is right over the Holy of Holies. And so what Lucifer, Satan, was attempting was to have a premature abomination of desolation and coercing Christ to jump from 
the pinnacle, which, as I said, was right over the Holy of Holies, and it created a type of abomination uh, against God. But the devil, as I said, he took Jesus into a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. I want you to think about that. Everything the devil had to show Jesus was just in a moment of time, very short time. So when the devil is tempting you, he's enticing you, trying to allure you, whatever he's showing you, just be patient, resist the temptation, it'll soon be over with, because he showed Jesus the glory of all these kingdoms, but it only took him a moment of time. And he said, I will give them to thee, and the glory of them, for that is delivered unto me, and to whomsoever I will, I give it. Now this man of sin... He has many names. We'll look at a few of them tonight. This man of sin, Paul calls him the son of perdition, the same thing that Jesus Christ called Judas Iscariot when he was praying in John chapter 17 in the Garden of Gethsemane. He said, I've lost none but the son of perdition that the scriptures might be fulfilled. And you'll find that in uh, John 17 verse 12. The man of sin, the literal man of sin, he too is called the son of perdition. But I want to look in Daniel, and we'll go through Daniel a little bit, and just share some of the titles that this man has. Jesus has a plethora of titles of himself. He's the living water, he's the bread of life, he's the door, he's the way, he's the truth, um, he's the resurrection. Uh, Jesus had many titles of himself. Well, the Antichrist, likewise, will also possess many titles as well. Uh, looking in Daniel chapter 7, beginning at verse 9, I beheld till the thrones were cast down, and the Ancient of Days did sit, talking about Jehovah, Elohim, whose garment was white as snow, and his hair of, of his head like the pure wool, his throne was like the fiery flame, and his wheels as burning fire. A fiery stream issued and came forth from before him, thousand thousands ministered unto him, and ten thousands times ten thousand stood before him. The judgment was set, and the books were opened. In other words, there's a set time. None of us knows exactly when that set time is, but there is a set time of judgment. Uh, it's like someone getting a speeding ticket, uh, you know, today, and your court, this date is set, he'll give you the ticket, so you got to appear in a court six weeks from now. And if you don't appear in court, they will come and arrest you. So even though it's out in the future, the judgment is set. Then he says in verse 11, I beheld then because of the voice of the great words which the horn spake. He's called a horn. I beheld even till the beast was slain and his body destroyed and given to the burning flame. Now this is, this is very, very futuristic and what Daniel is witnessing and beholding. He's actually witnessing the time of Christ's second coming and advent till Christ comes back to the earth and he takes the false prophet and he takes the beast and he casts them both into a lake of fire. This is what, this is what he does with those two. So Daniel was able to see that. You'll find that in uh, Revelation 19 and 20. And the beast or the Antichrist was taken and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him, 
with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast, and them that worshipped his image, these both were cast alive into a lake of fire, burning with brimstone. So Daniel sees and says, I beheld even till the beast was slain, and his body destroyed and given to the burning flame. So that, that, that totally negates people saying it's a system. Now this person has a body. Jesus had a body. Judas Iscariot, the son of perdition, he had a body. They had their personage. They were real human beings. And so will the Antichrist be. Then you look in uh, the 8th chapter of Daniel, verses 22 through 25. Now, that being broken, whereas four stood up for it, four kingdoms shall stand up out of the nation, but not in his power. And in the latter time of their kingdom, this is the talking about the ten kings in Revelation 17. And in the latter time of their kingdom, when the transgressors are come to full, a king of fierce countenance and understanding dark sentences shall stand up. And his power shall be mighty, but not by his own power, and he shall destroy wonderfully, and shall prosper and practice, and shall destroy the mighty and the holy people. And through his policy, also he shall cause craft to prosper in his hand. He shall magnify himself in his heart, and by peace shall destroy many. He shall also stand up against the prince of princes. Most Bibles, that word print there is in capital letter signifying that Daniel is talking about Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace. But he shall be broken without hand. In other words, Christ will break him without having to physically lay hold on him. Uh, in uh, 2 Thessalonians 2, uh, verse 8, or let's, let's go to verse 7. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. Then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Christ will destroy the Antichrist. He will consume him with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. That The, the coming of the Lord is going to be so bright. Uh, Zechariah speaks of it being a, a, a daylight that is, or the, the, the light will be so bright, it'll be seven times brighter than a natural day. That's that's hard to imagine. Uh, the noonday sun at its greatest strength at the peak of the day, and yet it'll be seven times brighter than that. Uh, that's why the city, uh, New Jerusalem, has no need for light. For it says the Lamb of God is the light therein. And it, that's something that you and I just you know, can't in the natural get our heads around the gravity, the magnitude of the brightness of his coming. Uh, that's why everyone will see him. Nobody anywhere on the earth will not be able to see him, but every eye, Revelation 1-7 says, every eye shall see him. All right, uh, Daniel 9 and 26 says, and after three score and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself and the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Now, 
that word prince there is a small prince addressing the Antichrist. And then in verse 27 says, And he, being a man, shall confirm the covenant with many for one week, and in the midst of the week he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease, and for the overspreading of abominations he, that's four times we've got the, uh, or three times we've got the pronoun he, shall make it desolate even until the consummation and that determined shall be poured upon the desolate or that which is totally and utterly ruined. So the scriptures are continuing to address this man, the Antichrist, as an individual. And yet we have so many, regretfully, out here going around telling people, well, it's a system. Well, you know, IBM, Kodak, GM, whatever, the Federal Reserve System, there is a system. It's a world system. But there's someone that's the president or the CEO or the executive officer of these systems. You know, Donald Trump is the president of the United States, commander-in-chief. He, he, he has power over these entities, you see. And it is a system. There is a government. There is a structure. Satan is over his hierarchical government. But he is a person. He's not a man like you and I, but he is a person. He's a personage. He's a spirit. He's a fallen angel. He has, he has a, a makeup, and he's able to take his makeup and transform it as he wills to deceive or to seduce people. But yet there is a structural, hierarchical, demonic government, according to Ephesians chapter 6, uh, verse 12. Paul said, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. That is the form of government. Now, what we see many times in the natural are people that are influenced or demonically possessed and demonically controlled. So Paul wants the church to understand, you're not wrestling against flesh and blood, but against principalities against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world. There are people who rule in this world, but spiritually they are full of darkness. They, they, they are just full of darkness and sin and evilness. And then he talks about spiritual wickedness in high places. Now, Ephesians 2 tells us that Satan is the prince of the power of the air. Uh, we constantly, constantly there is demonic activity taking place. We, we hear about these portals opening and closing. Ephesians 2, 2. Where in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. These entities go in and out of these portals. He's declared emphatically the prince of the power of the air. And Paul said, it, that spirit that's controlling these heavenlies is working in the children of disobedience. That's why we, we don't want to disobey God. That gives Satan an open door into our lives through disobedience. What was Satan trying to do to Jesus? It said when the tempter came to tempt him, the word, the, the word tempter there 
meant he came to make Jesus evil. He was trying to find a place where he could get into the life of Christ and cause Christ to sin, grieve the Holy Spirit, and destroy the plan of salvation. But Jesus resisted the devil by quoting the word of God. James 4, 7 says, resist the devil. He will flee from you. Draw nigh to God. He will draw nigh to you. That is something every one of us has to do. We, we talk about resisting temptation. Temptation is going to come to all of us. And it's up to us to have the spiritual fortitude to say, you know what? I'm simply not going to do that. I'm not going there. I'm not going to make provision to get there. I'm not going to set myself up for a fall, but I'm going to keep myself. See, I, I've got to do my part. God will surely do his part. But I have to do my part. When God brought Abraham into covenant, there were some things that God told Abraham he would have to do. One was circumcision. See, God, God kept his part, but do we keep our part? And so this is why, and we'll get into this after the break, there are going to be those who are going to worship the beast and the beast system, and they're going to worship Satan. And all of this is growing exponentially. People want power. You see, Christ gave the church Holy Ghost power. People that are in the world, they also want power, but they don't want the power of Christ because Christ places spiritual demands upon our lives to live godly and holy and righteous in this present world, Paul said. And people don't want to make that transition and live like that. You know, every one of us are tempted. Um, I had a gentleman telling me today, uh, his dad is a physician out of Florida, and a guy found a briefcase or suitcase, had $5 million in it. And he said, the guy went and turned it into the police department. And he said, you know, that had to be drug money. And I said, that kind of money would even tempt a preacher. Because, you know, I'm thinking the same thing. That's drug money. Who walks around with $5 million? But his conscience demanded he go give it to the police department. And, of course, they say if nobody claims it in 90 days, you know, you get it. But I don't know about that, the kind of money that the, the, the police department said, we're going to keep it. We, we need it, whatever. But the point is, the man was not tempted with it to keep it. He, he went and surrendered it because I suppose he, too, uh, knew it was wrong. It was, uh, it was probably drug money, without a doubt. And he just didn't want to be a part of that. But Satan, he knows how to tempt all of us and where our weak spots are, and that's where he's going to come. When Satan comes to you, he doesn't come where he knows it will not work. He comes where he's confident it will work. And that's where he's going to come against you in your own personal life, where you're the most vulnerable. That's what he does, because he seeks to kill, to steal, and to destroy. So he seeks a, a means, a motor, a method, into our lives. We're close to the break, aren't we? Pastor, we're going we're gonna to skip the break. We're not going to okay. take the break. Uh, this okay. is a, a great subject that you're talking about, and um, very important, because as you just said, temptation comes to all of us in many different forms. And how, much, how many of us even recognize, recognize it for what it is? Well, that's the key. You know, we all need to know where our weakness is, where, where we are vulnerable. You know, most people that are trying to live for the Lord, the devil's not going to tempt you with robbing a bank. I mean, you just you just have too much common sense to take a gun and go to a bank and say, I'm going to rob the bank. But he 
will set up a situation. He will create a circumstance. That's where Satan is the master, at creating circumstances and situations so that he can snare us, he can trap us. Now, I don't, I don't know exactly how he's going to get this individual to commit wholly their life and their soul to him. I know Satan is powerful. Luke twenty two thirty one. Jesus said, Simon Peter, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as sweet. But I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not, and when thou art converted, strengthen the brethren. And when you exegete that in the Greek, Jesus said, Peter, Satan has exceedingly demanded that I give him your soul. Remember the conversation between Jehovah and Satan regarding Job. You know, one, one of the most powerful verses is Job 2 and verse 6. After uh, the, the devil has conversed with God and the devil has left and said, God, you got a hedge about him, take the hedge down. And we know the story how the devil destroyed everything, took his sons and his daughters, his, his oxen, his cam, camels, his she-asses. That didn't, that didn't get to him. So his next objective was to touch his flesh. So the devil says in uh, Job 2.4, Skin for skin, yea, all that a man hath will he give for his life. And verse 6 says, And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, he is in thine hand, but save his life. I preached a message one time, man and the hands of Satan. Now, that's, that, that you talk about vulnerability, you know. But see, God knew he could trust Job to that degree. Job 1.1, there was a man in the land of us whose name was Job. That man was perfect, upright, one that feared God, and he shewed evil. God was certain that no matter how much the temptation, no matter how much the frustration, no matter how great the, the aggravation, the agitation, Satan couldn't break Job. Though God says, Behold, he is in thine hand, but save his life. Now, whoever this man is, he's, all, he's probably here, he's probably in some type of leadership already, and uh, he, he's going to commit himself you know the old the old cliche they sold their soul for rock and roll or, or many people have made deals with the devil uh, because they're not thinking about the end they're thinking about the present where they find themselves and, and this is how Satan operates so this this man whoever he is will no doubt have a platform of some degree already uh, dr. Henry spake one of the founding fathers of the United Nations now, this is back in the mid-40s when they were trying to get this together, uh, birth the United Nations. And he said, we have too many committees. We have too many people making too many decisions. He said, we need a man, whether he be sent from God or the devil, we need a man to run the world. Well, that's been 60, 70 years ago. What he was saying was, we're making a place for the Antichrist. See, and we've had all of the speculation throughout all of the years. It's this person, it's Boutros, Boutros, Golly. I mean, I've, I've heard it all. Let me let me be emphatic tonight. Nobody knows who the Antichrist is. 
if anybody tells you, like all these these jacklegs have set all of these dates and said the rapture is going to take place, they were all liars. Because Jesus said, no man knows the day nor the hour. Now, what man, if he said he was a Christian and believed the word of God, would then turn around and set a date? When Jesus, the word of God, incarnate says, nobody knows the day nor the hour, but only my father. So when anybody tells you, you know, I think the new date, if I'm not mistaken, is September the 23rd, 2017. Well, I promise you that date's going to come and go like the rest of them. Uh, you know, the gentleman, I think he's deceased now, was at Family Radio. He kept predicting, he was up in his 90s, kept predicting the rapture, and it never occurred. And uh, he finally made a public announcement that he was wrong. Well, I could tell him he was wrong. He would have listened to me because you, anybody that sets a date, write them off. Just write them off. Because Jesus has done told us, you're not going to know the day or the hour. The closest you're going to get to it, is the season. First Thessalonians 5 and 1. But of the times and of the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. When they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with a child, and they shall not escape. But ye, brethren, us, are not in darkness that that day should overtake us as a thief. So it's not going to catch me unawares, but no man knows the day nor the hour. But Paul says, there's no need for me to write to you about the times and the seasons. But of the times and the seasons, brethren, ye have no need that I write unto you for yourselves, know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. Now, I personally believe the great tribulation will begin in the spring of the year. You add three years to that, put you back in the spring. Add six months, three and one half years, where does that put you? In the fall of the year. Jesus fulfilled the feast of uh, Passover and the feast of Pentecost at his first coming. I believe he will fulfill the last two feasts at his second coming, the feast of trumpets and the feast of tabernacles. How does the Lord come? 1 Thessalonians 4, 16. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God. That's Feast of Trumpets. What is Feast of Trumpets? Either September or October. The months vary on the uh, Hebrew calendar. Then in Revelation 21, 3, it says, And God himself shall tabernacle with man. That's the last feast, the Feast of Tabernacles. The Jews call it the Feast of Booths, B-O-O-T-H-S. So I believe, in my personal belief, I've got absolute conviction. The Great Tribulation begins at the Temple Mount in the spring of the year, and then Christ will return in the fall of the year. There's your 42 months, your three and one half years, or your 1,260 days. Now, who is this man? Everybody wants to say, well, Ronald Reagan. I mean, we've, we've heard it all. Obama. That was that was the biggest joke. Uh, you remember when the YouTube video was going around? Did God leave us a sign? And they used uh, Luke ten eighteen. I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. And, of course, the word lightning there in the, 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 the Greek and the Hebrew is Barak. Well, 
You see, 20 years, 1994, when Ehud Barak, the prime minister of Israel, was in office, I exegeted his name. I knew it was lightning. And then this, this, the people, I, must, I don't know how many times I got that same YouTube video sent to me. Nobody knows who the Antichrist is. I, and, I, and why I can't get that in people's minds, I don't understand. When the Bible is clear, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3, verse 6, and verse 8, says emphatically, he must be revealed. Now, when something is revealed, it is disclosed. It is made evident to whoever you're going to disclose it to. You have a folder, you have a file, um, a, a present and a box, but the person can't see the gift in the box till you take the cover off, the lid off. Then they get to see what it is. Then it is revealed. See? So in Second Thessalonians 2, 3, Paul said, Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed. There it is. Then in verse 6, and now you know what withholdeth, that he might be revealed in his time. So he has a time that he's going to be revealed in. Then in verse 8, and then shall that wicked be revealed. Now, I believe when he goes to the Temple Mount and he stops the daily sacrifice, better known as the abomination of desolation. Now, Jesus spoke of that, and Jesus said, we're going to see that. I mean, Matthew twenty four fifteen. When ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place, whosoever readeth, let him understand. Now that phrase, whosoever readeth, let him understand, in most Bibles is in parentheses. Now, how they broke that up like that, I'm not exactly certain. But Jesus said, when ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation. And then, then my pundits will say, well, that verse is for the Jews. Isn't it amazing how the Jews do not believe in the New Testament whatsoever? I, when I was in Israel, I tried a couple times to witness to the tour guide. He said, listen, I know you're a Christian. He said, but the New Testament that you call the Word of God is a historical book. It's, it, it, it's not like the Torah. It holds no authenticity, no validity, neither any authority. So he's a calloused Jew. So Jesus is telling the Christians, because he's talking to his disciples at Mount Olivet. That's called the Olivet Discourse. When he came out of the temple and he went out there and he sat down, the disciples came unto him, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be? What shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world, or the end of the age? It, it's, it's not the end of the world as we know it. That won't happen for another thousand years after Christ returns. But it's the end of this age, or the better word would be, the end of this dispensation. And Christ will return and will set up his kingdom. Now, anytime anybody tells you, I've got it figured out, write that person off, too. See, because they don't know because the scriptures do not give us this man until he does what the Bible says he's going to do. Okay, Daniel 11 and 21. And in his estate shall stand up a vile person. The Antichrist is called a vile person to whom they shall not give the honor of the kingdom, but he shall come in peaceably and obtain the kingdom by flatteries. Now, which he will 
divide the kingdom up. Now, how this is this was going to take place, we, we don't know. Uh, we don't know about the dividing of Israel, Jerusalem, etc. That's why I know Donald Trump doesn't know what he's doing about that. He said, I don't care if it's one state or two states. Well, had he been uh, initiated, he would know the demand is a two-state solution. And this has been going on forever. Uh, when Ben Gurion uh, declared Israel a nation May the 14th, 1948, they had been for years, since the, since the early 1900s, trying to establish a Jewish state. And it finally came to pass and came to fruition on May the 14th, 1948. And as soon as it came to pass, guess what? Israel went into war immediately. And uh, I'm trying to think of her name, Golan Meir. Uh, Ben-Gurion sent her back here to America to raise money. And if I remember, in just a, just a short period of time, she raised $52 million. That was a lot of money uh, in 1948. And she got it from Jewish people who had come to America, had been very successful. And so she brought that money back. They bought airplanes, they bought tanks, they bought all sorts of military equipment. And, and, and therefore, they have never lost a war. They will not lose a war until the revelation of the Antichrist. I know that's a broad, uh, maybe a presumptuous statement. But they won't lose until the revelation of the Antichrist. And then when you read Zechariah chapter 12, 13, and 14, Jerusalem is going to be rifled. The women are going to be ravished. It's going to be, it's going to be unbelievable what's going to happen. But see, Daniel says he comes in peaceably. Now, he's going to feign, I'm a man of peace. But he's not. He's going to pretend that. He's going to feign that. But he's really a man of war. And he's going, in the end, to make war with God Almighty. Daniel 11 and 24, he shall enter peaceably even upon the fattest places of the province. Are you ready for this, guys? The word fattest in the Hebrew is oily. O-I-L-Y, oily. Fattest places of the province. If you look up the word province in the Hebrew, your strong exhaustive concordance, it is Medina. That's what you'll read, Medina. What is that? Medina, Saudi Arabia. That's where all the oil is. It's over in the Middle East. We know in 1973, those of you that are old enough, Doug, you remember very well how we had the gas lines. Very well. You, if you didn't get in line, there were you know, there were times I didn't get no gas. Pastor, you know, just real, real quick, i got to tell you. Sure, go ahead. Uh, uh, in 19, uh, I think it was 78, I had to transport a patient to a psychiatric center in uh, uh, Philadelphia from northwest Pennsylvania. And I pulled into, this was using an ambulance, of course, obviously. And this woman was psychotic, but I stopped in Lidditz, Pennsylvania, at the, around Lidditz. The only, um, it was a travel center. They said, uh, uh, despite the fact that you have an ambulance, $5 only, or five gallons, I, I think it was, whatever the limit was. Right. Okay. And at the after arguing with the uh, uh, just as a humorous aside, uh, after arguing with the with the manager because uh, we we had two tanks, of course, in the in the uh, ambulance, uh, he he was not going to give us any gas. And and I said, if you don't give us any gas, the the patient in the back is going to be a patron in your restaurant. <laughs> 
and that's the other way. <laughs> but but uh, I just I just to lighten the atmosphere a little bit. That's a true story. But yes, yes, gas. Lines. And 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 think about this, folks. Uh, the gas lines, as I said, in '73. That's been 45 years ago. I would I would dare say people who have automobiles has doubled, if not tripled, since then. You know, most people you see on the interstate, one person in one car. And they said we were we were running out of oil. Well, that was all intentional. So they could run up the price of gas, and fundamentally it has never really come back down. Thank God it's where it is today. But it's there's 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 tankers sitting out in harbors. There's a glut of oil. Now I, there must be some way as God designed the earth, that there is some way to replenish this crude oil because it's the light and it's easier, more easier refined, they tell me. But out of all the years we burned fuel and now we have a glutton, well, this man is going to come in to the oily places. So it'll be somewhere in the Middle East where he will obviously make his debut. Uh, some people say it's the, the Prime Minister of Turkey. There's all sorts of speculation. But we're not going to know until Israel gets their third temple. And I know there'll be those, well, that's not going to happen. Well, how's he going to sit in the temple if there is no temple? You know, Second uh, Thessalonians 2, 3, Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposeth, and exalted himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Well, if there's no temple, where's he sitting? And I know the great word nos. People say, well, it's the, it's the temple of your heart. You're the temple of God. First Corinthians three sixteen. No, you're not. That you're the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth within you. No, folks, because John is told in Revelation eleven, measure the temple. You, you can't measure my temple spiritually. You don't know how big my temple is, how short my temple is, how wide my temple is, or how tall my temple is. That is a spiritual application. But in, in Revelation 11, there was given John a reed like unto a rod, and the angel stood saying, Rise and measure the temple of God and the altar and them that worship therein. So I don't worship myself. I worship God. Yes, I am a earthen vessel wherein the Spirit of God dwells in me. But the altar is not in my heart. The altar is God's. And I and I go to his altar. Now, we can make an altar in the sense of a chair or a, a couch or an ottoman or something to get down and kneel. But that's a piece of furniture. We're talking a spiritual application here. See? So they'll tell you those things. I mean, I've never seen so much heresy. That, that, that's really coming into the church and they're distracting the people by not preaching what needs to be preached important things like against sin and repentance. I mean, you just never hear preachers preach about and against sin. It's as though it does not exist, but it certainly does exist. Okay, now we look at Daniel 11 and 36. And the king, the Antichrist, shall do according to his will and he shall exalt himself and magnify himself above every god. Now, I just quoted Second Thessalonians 2, 4, who opposeth and exalted himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he as God 
sit in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. That's why you hear me use the phrase, you've got to reconcile the scriptures. So if there's no antichrist, how do we reconcile 2 Thessalonians 2, 4 and Daniel eleven thirty six? Is it just a myth? Is it a fable? Is it a little wives' tale? What is it? No, it's the word of God. And the king shall do according to his will. See, that shows you he's the Antichrist, because what did Christ say? Not my will, but thy will be done. He's the exact opposite of Christ, anti-against. If you are anti-Semitic, you are against. I know some people say in replace of, because of John 5 and 43, where Jesus said, I am come in my Father's name, and you receive me not. If another shall come in his own name, him shall you receive. But he's not uh, in place of, he's more against. So the king shall do according to his will. He shall exalt himself. Christ never exalted himself. He was a humble. He was so humble, he died the death of the cross, Philippians chapter 3. He shall exalt himself and magnify himself above every god and speak marvelous things against the god of gods and shall prosper till the indignation be accomplished for that that is determined shall be done. Neither shall he regard the god of his fathers nor the desire of women. Some people think that means he's a homosexual. Nor regard any god for he shall magnify himself above all. That's what Paul said. He will exalt himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God showing himself that he is God. He's going to say, I'm God. He'll be against uh, Islam, Christianity, Judaism. He'll be against everything. He's declaring himself, I'm God. Don't you get it? And with the endorsement of the false prophet and these, these miracles... They're going to call fire down out of heaven, just like Elijah did in 1 Kings chapter 17 and 18. He's going to do some of the same things, and the false prophet is going to endorse him and laud him and extol him. And he's going to coerce the people to make an image. That's, that's the actual abomination of desolation, is this image that they're going to create, and this image is going to be unique. Because they're going to give life unto this image. Revelation thirteen fourteen, or let's say Revelation thirteen thirteen, And he doeth great wonders, so that he maketh fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men, and deceiveth them that dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles which he had power to do in the sight of the beast, saying to them that dwell on the earth, that they should make an image to the beast, which had the wound by a sword, and did live. And he had power to give life unto the image. The word life there in the Greek is breath. He had power to give breath unto the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. Going to be a great martyrdom in that time. And it's nothing uh, to be uh, laughed about, talked about. Uh, but here's, here's the great thing. Um, I want to close. We're getting close to the end. I want to close in Revelation 13 about this man. Revelation 13, beginning at verse 5. And there was given unto him a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies, and power was given unto him to continue forty and two months. There's your three and one half year period. Now, I'm not going to say there's not a seven year time frame. They may make a, a peace treaty. 
we won't know if that's the one until it's broken. And there'll be three and a half years into it, and then it'll be broken. That's when we'll have the revelation of the Antichrist. We'll know who he is then. Okay. And it was given, and he opened his mouth and blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle, and them that dwell in heaven. And it was given unto him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And power was given him over all kindreds and tongues and nations. Now here's the key verse, verse 8, Revelation 13, 8. And it's basically the same as you'll find in Revelation 17 and verse 8. Revelation 13, 8. And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him, whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. If any man have an ear, let him hear. Okay, there you have it. Everybody whose name is not in the book of life is going to worship this Antichrist. That's the blessing in being redeemed by the blood of the Lamb and being sealed by the Spirit of God. Ephesians 1.13, in whom also after that ye believed, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. The Holy Spirit seals us. Now, Nobody can break that seal but you. The devil can't break it. Your wife can't break it. Nobody. But you have the right to walk away. And people say, well, you can't lose your salvation. Well, it's like being married. You took a vow. You you made a commitment. But you have the power, the ability to walk away and say, you know what? I don't think I want to be married anymore. But the reality is we all have our free will. If God Almighty could not keep Lucifer, what makes you think he can keep you? Not only did he not keep Lucifer, a third of the angels rebelled with Lucifer, said, we're going with you, Satan. We're going with you, Lucifer. They rebelled against God and went their way. Now, I said in Revelation seventeen eight, the beast that thou sawest was and is not, and shall ascend out of the bottomless pit and go into perdition, and they that dwell on the earth shall wonder whose names were not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world when they behold the beast that was and is not and yet is. I won't get into all of that past, present, future tense. That's another subject for another time. But that's what he says there. Behold the beast that was, past, is not, he's not here now, and yet is. He will yet come in the future. We know that. The scriptures are replete. But the key is, when he comes out of this abyss of darkness, those whose names were not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world when they behold the beast. That's who's going to worship them. If your name is not in the book of life. Now, I believe, and this is what Judaism teaches, and I believe it. Revelation 3, verse 5. He that overcometh, the same shall be clothed in white raiment, and I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. In other words, every person's name is in the book of life, but you have to repent. If you fail to repent, God blots the name out. He, he said in Second uh, Peter 3, 9, The Lord is not slack concerning his promises, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us, we're not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Notice the word, that all should come to repentance. So if you don't repent, then he says, I have no recourse. 
but to blot your name out. Moses, uh, he argued with God about the Israelites. God said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kill them. I'm going to do away with them, and I'll raise up another nation out of your loins, Moses. And Moses, it's hard to imagine a man could talk to God like that. He said, well, if you blot their names out, blot mine out. Well, you would know Moses was not a sinner. He did grieve the Spirit of God when he smote the rock instead of speaking to the rock. And God said, because of that, I won't let you go into the promised land. I'll let you see it. But the point is, he knew his name was in the book of life, and he said, if you're going to blot theirs out, blot mine out. See, you'll find that in Exodus chapter 32. So uh, I just want people to know tonight in closing, there is going to be a literal man of sin. And this is why it's so devastating for people to go around and tell you, no, it's a system, or they're preterist. That's, that's historical. That's in the past. That's not real today. And then another false doctrine that is going around is that there is no thousand-year millennial reign of Christ. Well, you'd have to be blind and, 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 and as ignorant as can be because in Revelation chapter 20, verses 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, and 7, John uses the phrase, Six consecutive times, in six consecutive verses, a thousand years, 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 a thousand years. And yet there are those out there teaching, that's not real either. So they know more than the scriptures. They take it on, that's so dangerous to deify yourself and say, no, I know better than that. Though it's written in black and white. Read it tonight before you go to bed. Revelation 20, verses 2 through 7. Six consecutive times, John uses the phrase, a thousand years. And yet we have people say, that's not real either. Well, this is why Jesus said in Matthew 24, 11, And many false prophets shall arise and shall deceive many. They're prophesying a lie to you. Don't believe it. If you can't reconcile the scriptures, folks, leave it alone. And the problem is a lot of people don't know their Bible, and therefore they don't know how to reconcile, because you've got to have the numbers as an accountant to reconcile the books. If you don't have the numbers, you can't reconcile it. If you don't have the word, or you know the word, or know where to go to get the word, you, you can't reconcile it. And this is one of the problems in Christianity today. Paul said there's going to be those who are going to come and preach another Jesus. There's not another Jesus. What he's telling you, they're going to be preaching a lie. And they're going to believe the lie, as Paul said in 2 Thessalonians 2, and they're going to be damned. And uh, that's, a, that's a terrible, terrible thing. So I want people to know there's a real Antichrist, and there is a real thousand-year millennial reign of Christ. Amen. And it's, it amazes me, Pastor the hubris of people who have a YouTube channel to to proclaim that they know different or they know better than what's written in the Bible or their interpretation supersedes the text of the Bible. It's just, uh, wow. And here's, here's the great thing. We all can have a Bible and have, have access to the truth. That That's, you know, it's not like you got a uh, uh, somatic and, and and I can't I can't get it. I've got it too. You know, I've got the diagram. I got the blueprint. You know, and, and, and you know, an engineer has a schematic diagram, and 
I can't read it, of course, because I don't understand it, but I can read the Bible and understand and ask God to open my understanding to understand more. I just want the people to know there, there is a, there's a coming time when this man will be revealed, and we're working to that with this B system. People are quitting today. They're not hardly ever using cash, and everybody wants you to pay your bills online. It's, we're, we're headed in that direction. It's just more and more and more and more, and it will climax at the, uh, the debut of the Antichrist. I hope a few people got something out of this tonight and have a better understanding of where we are and what's going on. Pastor, that did a lot for me personally to clarify much. And I thank you for that. And by the way, Revelation 13 revealed, uh, uh, Pastor uh, Langford's book, Revelation 13 revealed, uh, supplements this, uh, yes. this episode as well. So, Absolutely. Pastor, There's a lot of information in there that people need to read. Indeed, indeed. So this episode and Revelation 13 revealed at thevoiceofevangelism.com. Thank you so much, Pastor, for your... God bless you. Have a wonderful night, everyone. Talk to you later, though. Chug, though. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That'll do it for us tonight. That's it. Got to be hot there. That'll do it for us tonight. Until tomorrow, stay safe. God bless, and have a great evening. 